This episode of the MJ Cast is brought to you by Crack Corn, the ridiculously delicious ultra-premium puff corn. Not popcorn, puff corn. Buttery, sugary, salty and sweet, you've got to try it. Head on over to crackcorn.com slash the MJ Cast for an amazing deal just for our listeners. And they ship right to your door. It tastes amazing, especially their new special Christmas candy cane flavor. Show Crack Corn some love. Crackcorn.com slash the MJ Cast. The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. I'm a black American. I am proud of who I am. Together, we can make a change in the world. I want to see you! <laughs> I like to take sounds and put them on the microscope. There's a driving bass, we become the bass. Let the music write itself. I don't sing it if I don't mean it. Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news, discussion, and interviews on the King of Pop. Hello, and welcome to this very special episode of the MJ Cast. I'm your host, Jamin Bull, and I'm here with my co host, Q. And today we have a very special episode for our listeners with the one and only TJ Jackson joining us. TJ is here to talk about his new solo EP, Damaged his impressive music career, and his amazing family. As most of our listeners already know, TJ is the third son of Tito Jackson and Dee Dee Jackson, and is, of course, the nephew of Michael Jackson. TJ is also the former legal guardian of Michael's children, Prince, Paris, and BG. Hello, listeners. It's Q here, and we are rounding out our Jackson family collection of all of the T's with TJ Jackson today. And TJ became a superstar alongside his brothers Taj and Tarrell as part of the group 3T. Their debut album Brotherhood, which has sold over three and a half million copies worldwide, recently celebrated its 25th anniversary. Where has the time gone? And their music continues to have a dedicated international fan base. The guys have performed all over the world, appeared on television and starred in a lifetime docuseries, The Jacksons Next Generation. As a solo artist, TJ debuted his single and music video Insomnia in September of 2019. This release marked the start of a trilogy of EP projects, including Obsession, which came out in March of 2020, and his new EP, Damaged, which just recently dropped. His solo music also marks a departure from the sounds of his music royalty family and of the work he did with his brothers, presenting a style that is all of his own. In addition to all the amazing music TJ's created so far, both with 3T and in his solo career, TJ is a dedicated father, husband, and businessman. This past summer, he and his wife, Frances Jackson, launched the Family Rules podcast, where they discuss family-related topics and answer questions and concerns from the community. All right. Well, TJ Jackson, thank you so much for joining us on the MJ cast. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Oh, we are so excited. Q, I'm so glad you can be here for this episode as well. We have completed the trilogy. Well, yes. it's, a, it's more than a trilogy, actually, because it's not only uh, TJ now, but of course, 
We've had Taj and Tarrell join us for amazing interviews. But also, Papa T himself, Tito Jackson, was our episode 50. So we've got the whole T family. Wow. So my father did it too. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah, we wanted to tell everyone about Tito time. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. You know, I'm so blessed and obviously thankful of who I am and of being a Jackson. But I'm very, very thankful to have my brothers and father and to hear that all three of them have already done this show and and I'm the fourth to do it. Uh, It's exciting. So, and I'm happy to be here, you guys. And I want to thank you before we get started. I want to thank you for all the support you've given my uncle. He was and uh, will always be so important and so special in my life. He changed my life in so many ways. And uh, I will always be thankful for him and, and always cherish him. And I want to thank you guys who, who go out of your way to, to support him and defend him and, and to, you know, and to share your love for him. It, it means the world to, to me and my entire family. So thank you. Thank you very much for saying that. And uh, we, we've got a lot of questions lined up here about Michael, as well as your music that you've done. So we can't wait to uh, dig into those. I've got to start by saying, though, TJ, I, I told this story to your, to your siblings as well. But um, believe it or not, even though, you know, Q and I do the MJ cast, uh, I was actually a 3T fan before I was a Michael Jackson fan. The first album I ever got was like a compilation album my grandma bought me for my birthday in primary school. And it had anything on on the album and i loved it from the moment i heard it in sixth grade so it's wow. great to be able to talk to you that's a cool story and thank that's not <laughs> that's usually not what i hear but it was very refreshing to hear that you you know were a 3t fan even prior to you know being a, a supporter of my uncle so thank you for that it's very cool <laughs> yeah you guys were my entry to the jackson family appreciation love it love the 3t it. gateway Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That's so cool to hear, though. So thank you for sharing that. Mine was Janet. Janet was my gateway. Rhythm Nation was my first ever cassette that wasn't like a family cassette. Santa Claus gave it to me. My sister tried to pinch it before Santa officially (laughs) gave it to me. But uh, Rhythm Nation was, yeah, my first Jackson music that I owned. And then Michael followed with Dangerous. So, yeah. That's so cool. It's so cool. And, and it's cool to hear it this way because, you know, we, especially for me, I should say especially for me, I think all of our family, we, when we do music and, and do our projects, we're just trying to be the best we can. We never think about how we can positively impact the others. So uh, to hear you guys say that and to hear how, you know, it's like we're all working on the same kind of team and in the same world. And it's beautiful to feel that because I, I don't usually think about that. So it's wonderful to hear. Wow. Jamin, before we start that actual, you know, questions for TJ, I, I thought we should really make things comfortable for TJ. And we've got a disclaimer that TJ, you know, is used to doing a disclaimer on his Power of Love radio show because <laughs> Taj never does it, does he? So it's no, always, he doesn't. It's always, he does no, it. It's always TJ. <laughs> it's always Sometimes me. Sometimes Tarrell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's always me. 
So, you know, we, sh- we should put our disclaimer out there. Uh, we are not licensed radio hosts. We're just ordinary people who host a podcast, <laughs> who've experienced the music of the Jackson family in our lives. We've been impacted by it and learned from it. If you need to hear from professionals, we urge you to seek them out in our episode <laughs> guest list and tune in. But do not just rely on us. I love that disclaimer. It's, it sounds perfect, like it was perfectly written. So It really does. It was based <laughs> on a perfectly written disclaimer. <laughs> well, I, 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 that was fun. And I didn't, I didn't expect someone to read that disclaimer that way, but I, I'm super happy you did, and it was very sweet. So oh, thank you're you. You're welcome. <laughs> no, no, I, trans- I transcribed the other one last night when I got home from a hell shift at work and I was like, okay, this is good. This is grounding me again. TJ, what we like to do at the MJ cast is start off our interviews with guests going way back to their early lives. Would you be able to talk to us about what it was like growing up as a young boy in the Jackson family? Yeah. So First of all, let me let me preface this by saying I don't have the best memory. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, we we know that was uh, we've already been warned. That was Tarrell, who's got the elephant memory. Remembers every detail. He, he remembers everything. He could tell you what color socks I was wearing <laughs> on a certain occasion. But but growing up the way we did is it's truthfully it's it's what I consider to be a normal way of life. That's all I knew. I never thought I was more special than anyone. I never thought my family was more special. I just always felt that we were privileged to be able to, you know, be in a career that was so joyous and so loving and so unifying. I felt that and I knew that was special, but I never considered us to be special. And and I, I give a lot of that credit to my family. They were never, you know, I, I never felt like I deserve something more than the other person. And that is something that I, I have to say I'm so grateful for because I've seen a lot a lot of other people who have celebrity parents or grew up in, in famous families that struggle with that or had this misconception that they were more important just because there's a connection to, you know, a celebrity or, or someone popular or someone who's achieved a lot. I've never experienced that. And I think that's been one of the, my family's greatest you know, greatest things they've given to us second generation is that we're very humble and we we want to do our own thing. We want to create our own thing. We don't feel things should just be handed to us. And I don't know, I, I feel blessed in that way. As for growing up memories, I, I would just say, I'm sure my brothers told you, we wanted to be them. We wanted to be Michael, Jermaine, Jackie, Tito, Marlon, Randy. We wanted to be our family. We We try to, you know, do their dance moves. We try to play the instruments like them. They were our superheroes, and we grew up practicing every day trying to be like them. And, you know, we worked hard, and it was my father who said, this is all cool and stuff, but if you really want to do this as a career, you guys got to start doing your own music and and do your own thing. And I was probably seven, eight, nine years old when we started to to record and, and you know, do our own things and um, do early 3T. And back then it was called the 3Ts. It wasn't just 3T. It was the three T's and we had, you know, on my drum kit on the on the kick drum, it said the three T's. And it wasn't until I was 15 where my Uncle Michael said, no, I think you guys should drop the the and the apostrophe S and just go with three T. 
And, you know, we were like, really? And he's like, yeah, it's stronger, Applehead. And so we went with that, <laughs> and, and we, we haven't looked back since. <laughs> so I was going to ask Tito and Didi as parents for you guys, did they have different parenting styles? And hmm. as you've grown into a parent yourself, are there lessons that they've instilled in you that you've really consciously brought into your parenting style with Francis? It's a great question. My parents were, were great parents, are great, my, you know, great parents. Uh, my mother didn't play. She, you know, she was, we grew up in a, in a, a well-off area because of my family's success, but my mother didn't play. She didn't care. You know, she, she, <laughs> we, she, she would get on us if we, if, if one chore wasn't done right or, or whatever the issue was, if we weren't doing well in school, we got in trouble at school, we, we, we were penalizing for it, you know, and, and if we did really bad, then that's when my father got involved, you know, and, I think it's a similar thing as in terms of for how I parent. I think Frances does a lot of the day to day, you know, and she's tough and, and, you know, she comes, comes from a, a simple background as well. So she, she's grounded and, and, and then if they get in a lot of trouble, which they don't often, that's when I, I, I lean in and, and, and have to flex some parenting muscle. But we try to do what my family, my parents did, and that's lead with love. We always make sure we're supporting the kids and what they want to be and what they want to do. We teach morals and we, we try to make sure their character is great. And um, that's something that I learned from my mom and, and my father. And and yes, I, I'm blessed. I wouldn't trade either parent for anything. And, and it, it's kind of like what I think with, with the first generation. You know, Joe was huge for them. He, he's, he was their driving force. He was hard on them. But, you know, it, it took that 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 discipline to get out of Gary, Indiana. And then you, you partner that with Catherine, my grandmother, uh, who, who's the symbol of love and, and who, who has the biggest heart and it just is the definition of love. And that combination, I think, is it runs through our entire family because we're very disciplined, we're hardworking, we're perfectionists, we want to be great, but we're also very loving and very, you know, compassionate and empathetic people. And I think that runs through my entire family, and that's that's something as I've gotten older, I, I've recognized that's so beautiful about my grandparents. Beautiful. I love hearing you talk about parenting, TJ. As a father myself of a three-year-old girl, Olivia, I uh, just the stuff you're doing with Francis with the family rules and just the, the hope and conviction you speak with as a parent, really, uh, it gives me a lot of, um, I don't know, just, just your advice is really good for young yeah. parents, I think. You, you know, I, I went through like a, a phase like 10 years ago, 10 to 15 years ago, where I, I was thinking, what am I going to leave the world? What's what's going to, you know, my, you know, my family's done so much. What is my stamp going to be? And I, ever since I was a kid, I, I used to get subscription to Parent Magazine at 14 years old. I, I wanted to be a young father. And when my mother passed, it was like, I need a kid now because I need to feel that love. And I was already in my mind. I was that kid that at 16 wasn't going out to clubs or to parties. I was trying to pick up my younger cousins to hang with them and, and try to be like a parent to them. And, you know, and what was so cool was towards the end of his life, my uncle Michael and I, we had so many personal conversations on parenting and, 
and we, you know, we would talk about strategies, what's working, what's not working. And it, it was a beautiful thing. And it was something that it saddens me because our relationship in that way was, was just beginning and, and getting stronger as parenting friends, you know, and it was someone I could trust and he could trust me and, and, you know, talk about what wasn't working for him and, and vice versa. And it's, it was, um, I don't know. I felt like this is this is the this was a platform. The family rule is something I wanted to share with the world, and in in an attempt to help people become the best parents and families they can, and it's something I'm passionate about. As is Francis, and and we will always try to to bring positivity and love to everyone, so that their families can be as strong as possible. In those conversations with Michael before he passed, when he was talking about being a father, what was some of the advice he gave? What was his parenting philosophy in a nutshell well he he was all about love period he he was all about love and and supporting and encouraging and making sure their minds were as strong and confident as possible he believed in the power of the mind and of the importance of developing your children's mental capacity you know he believed in reading and in traveling and and museums and asking questions he wanted the three kids to be very inquisitive and and to and to 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 go through things and to experience and to really dive in and to ask questions and then like i said he was very into making sure you felt love he you know he was big on that he wanted to hold you he wanted to tell you he loved you and um he he always felt like that was lacking in in the modern family you know, because parents were out busy working or parents would bring frustrations back home and, you know, take it out on kids and on their kids. And that would hurt him. He would literally be in pain talking about that. He stood for that. And I think a lot of people, I'm telling you, a lot of people see Michael Jackson as the artist, but I, I see him as a parent. And obviously I see him as an artist as well. But to me, I he, he was an amazing father and and I feel was was going to be an amazing grandfather so that when I think about my uncle oftentimes I I get sad about how he missed that and and how his future grandkids are going to miss that where the world I think thinks about what they've lost from an artistic standpoint I think about him as a parent and he was a beautiful one what an answer um Hmm. We're going to go back again a little bit to your childhood because we've got a, a bit of a chronological structure to our questioning. Was there a definite moment in your childhood where you and Taj and Tarrell started experimenting with music or was it always sort of just organic in your family? You know, I don't remember the exact moment. My earliest memories, like I said, I was probably five, six when we first started and I was just trying to keep up. Todd is five years older than me, so he's 10, and, and Terrell's three years older, eight. So they're at an age where they can understand things. I was just there trying to be and trying to, to hold my own. I think my earliest memories is, is really playing the drums and, you know, watching on one side, I had Todd on my left side and Terrell was on my right side, and, and we were just trying to make music and trying to make it sound good. And seeing my father smile and my, mo- my mother smile, as a five-year-old, that's what's that's what's motivating you is 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 that you and your siblings can do things that make your parents smile. So we were just trying to play. We were just trying to be as good as we can. I remember we also we, my my father had a studio in in the house 
um, Ponderosa was the name of the studio. And we used to go down there and record with him. And we've done a lot of crazy, cool stuff back then and experimented. And, and you know, Terrell often wrote most of the songs. He was into songwriting. And we would record them. And we took it serious. We acted like, you know, these songs were going to be on the radio. So we put everything we could into them. And actually, in my last night clip, you could see some of the rehearsal you know we rehearsed mm -hmm. every day and, and recorded you know several times a week so we took it serious and i don't think many people knew that i think they just thought we started as teens but we were starting as kids i'm happy though we waited till when we did but we we put in the work 10 years before we even came out brotherhood the album remains you know one of my favorite albums ever and Let's think about it. Your family had so many successes prior to that moment, back, you know, stemming from the 60s, 70s, 80s, all of that. When your album came out in the 90s, and, and it did really well, millions of copies around the world, do you think you guys were ready for that level of attention? Did your family prepare you for it? That's a good question. You know, we never felt like we did anything. I shouldn't say it that way, but we never felt like we were really moving things. And it was our Uncle Michael who would always say, you guys are doing so great. You know, you guys are, are killing it. You know, and we were always comparing it to what Michael was doing. And, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to get, you know, if you sell out an arena on your first album after six months of releasing in the territory, that's a huge accomplishment. And that's what we were doing. But when the next day you're going to go see your uncle perform at a stadium with quadruple the amount of people who are more passionate, <laughs> who are more diverse and, and, you know, with a bigger catalog of music and every song is sang and, and it's just a whole nother experience, it will humble you quickly. <laughs> so when, when I say we never thought we were doing anything, it's, it's because we were always around our uncle and we saw his level of success. So we always felt... We have a long ways to go. But looking back, I realized what we did was very cool and, and was very uh, successful. And I, I'm hearing more and more people talk about the Brotherhood album and how much it meant to them and how great it was and, and how they still play it. And that is, um, you know, so I'm feeling that success and that love now. But back then, I, I, I was so determined to continue on to, to try to become even more successful, more bigger, that we never really enjoyed it. As far as being prepared for the attention, I think we were prepared. I mean, we expected it. We knew it was coming. Um, our whole lives, we've been Jacksons. So we, we were used to fielding questions from people, um, all types of questions, you know, some, some great, some positive, some nasty, some negative. So we were used to everything. And I think for the most part, we were ready. And I, and I think we did a decent job at, at holding our own being second generation Jacksons and, and being in the spotlight the way we were. It was an incredible, incredible era. And one of the highlights, I think, for many uh, 3T fans, but also MJ fans, is the whole why. Mm. Single and video. And we really love hearing any stories that you're willing to share of the why video shoot. Yeah. Well, the why video shoot, I remember preparing for it. I remember, you know, this is going to be our, our first and possibly only video with Uncle Michael and going to many of his videos in the past, you know, which were huge productions and he took incredibly serious. 
we, you know, at least I was was nervous. And it was probably the one video I was the most nervous for because my Uncle Michael was going to be in it. And, you know, there was all these people there and all these extra things were there. And it was one of those where it had to be great. It had to be perfect. You know, it was a babyface written song. It was a follow-up single. It was the one with my Uncle Michael. So there was a lot of nerves there. And then when we, you know, I think we did our verses first before he showed up, but then he came and we did the chorus part, the part that you see when we're singing with him. And it was completely opposite to what I thought. He was so laid back and so interested in in just projecting the nephew-uncle relationship. And and it was so cool because looking back, it's probably my, it is my favorite 3T video, but one of my favorite memories is it's what's captured our relationship. That's what it was. It was laughter. It was fun. It was silliness. It was protection. It was, it was educational. It was everything. And that video with all the shots does such a good job of, of showcasing that. So when people see the video, I think they enjoy it. But for me, it's like a memory capsule of my relationship with my uncle and my brothers. And because, you know, when we hung out, which was often, we didn't film ourselves, you know, and it was the time before phones. So there was not really, you know, we weren't being filmed like that. But that video captures that magic that we had with our uncle and, and I'm grateful for it. Love that. That's that's an incredible answer. And yeah, it's mm. such a good song and definitely mm. a fave video. That, that relationship really comes through so, so strong. Mm. It was, you know, around this time, that I have a question. It's a difficult question. It was after your mum, Dee Dee's tragic death. I was curious in your position now where you help people through the power of love radio show and family rules with advice and guidance and, and just discussion. What was some of the avenues open to you as young guys during that awful time uh, and and you yourself as the youngest of the family to try and deal with that awful scenario. Yeah, I didn't really feel like there was much, and 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 that was one reason why I'm so happy we do you know the Power of Love show and and we trying to do our part in in making it more um, accessible, just h- how to deal with grief and how to deal with loss. Because back in 94, there was nothing, you know, and I remember looking, I was just getting into reading and I was looking for books. I didn't find, it took me a while to, to land on one called Embraced by the Light. That really helped me. That was the first book that helped, but there were no, there was no internet. There were no really books written, especially for a teen who lost their mother the way I did. And and it was hard, but I, I was lucky to have my family, my grandmother, and my uncle Michael, and also my friends. You know, I had some amazing friends that that helped me find the passion to live the best life I could. And I credit, like I said, my my uncle, my grandmother, my father, of course, and and a handful of friends and their families who who saved me because I went through being such a solid student and a solid kid to not caring about anything. I was numb, you know, and and I was lost and frustrated and I didn't sit in that space long because of those people and and I'm so thankful for it because I, I truly feel it saved my life and helped me rebound and helped me do what I need to do to be the best TJ I can. 
I'm curious as well what specific role your uncle Michael played after your mother's death in terms of being with you guys and supporting you. Well, he, my uncle Michael was always there in our lives and we were always close with him. I think, I, I just think he, you, you felt an even higher level of commitment to us. I felt even a higher commitment level. It was as if it was something he had to do was make sure we would be okay. Um, he really, especially, he, he was my idol. He was someone I looked up to. I, I felt he had all the answers. So when he saw us struggling and saw me struggling with the passing of my mother, it was his voice that was probably the most important that encouraged me to, to do things right and to live the life I was supposed to live. And he encouraged me to make my mother proud and to represent her the right way and to put all that energy and all that 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 frustration or all that that you know that those emotions into my craft and my art and my music i think that's what happened i think we were doing music and and producing good stuff but i think after my mother passed you know it's so interesting how the world works because like you know before she passed there was a lot of nerves there was a lot of like this is going to be our big moment because we had already signed at that point. She was, she knew half of the songs on the Brotherhood album, and there was a lot of nerves about living up to the expectation or making, you know, everyone proud. But once she passed, it, it became like a big weight kind of got lifted off at least my shoulders, where I didn't, you know, is that 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 kind of thing where when you don't care actually can benefit you, and you know, it, it, I think that's what helped us become more comfortable and I think it helped us go for it without being too much in our head and and our uncle Michael was there and and of course my father just helping us ride that and, and become the best us we can and I think that has a lot to do with with our initial 3T success was we were going for it we had nothing to lose I always love the opportunity that I get to ask about Neverland Ranch Yes. Please share some stories about Neverland Ranch. It's a place that, especially for a fan in the 90s when Michael got it and you could see it becoming what it became, like such an amazing place. It was a place that we always just dreamed of visiting and seeing. So please let us live vicariously through you, (laughs) TJ. (laughs) You know, it was a magical, magical, magical place. It was, it was... Uh, it was Disneyland, but it was a, a home Disneyland. You know, any food you wanted, anything you wanted to do, the freedom, the the inspiration, the the everything was beautiful at Neverland. You know, obviously I knew how special it was, and I always loved going, but I, I didn't realize how magical it really was. You know, and and again, I think that's because just being with my uncle, he, he it was always felt magical. So. The home of Neverland felt like the appropriate home for him. But it's looking back and, and becoming a man myself and experiencing life that I realized how unique and special Neverland was and, and how there most likely won't be another. It was just a, a, a wonderful place where we got to you know have some of our greatest childhood memories, whether it was birthdays or just functions. And and it was just a, a, a great place to, to be with my uncle and, and to, to take off that music hat and and to let the music outside but to just be a family uh, that's that's probably my favorite memories of neverland it's just you know 
running and chasing my uncle or or having popcorn or throwing stuff at each other that's what to me is the magic of neverland is that it provided us a safe outlet where we can do that as uncle and 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 nephews is it a relief that even though neverland's been up for sale for a number of years now is it a relief somewhat that it hasn't been purchased by someone and completely changed or is it how how does it feel that you know you express such fondness for the place and then of course i believe it's colony capital got control of neverland uh, after or during later years of michael's life and after michael passed and the family doesn't really have much control over it anymore so what was it like when it did go up for sale but it's still for sale and no one's taken it over and changed it completely into you know a winery or yeah smaller farms mm. or something you know it, it's tough because you know I, I if it was up to me neverland would be preserved and whether it was open to public or saved from my cousins that's what I would love to have happened or have happened to Neverland. But I don't know what's going to happen. And that's not what I'm, um, you know, like you said, our family doesn't have much say in what happens to Neverland. With that said, you know, one thing that I think, you know, obviously, like I said, I would love to keep it. But one thing I, I don't think fans understand or really pay too much attention to is that Neverland towards the end of my uncle's life was a was a tough space for him. You know, he, he felt it was violated. He felt the magic was gone or stripped from, you know, the DA over there. And, and you know, he expressed that, you know, if, if he I don't know if he expressed it publicly, but at least privately he did. It's kind of like a double edged sword type of thing where obviously I would love to keep that because I had, like I said, some of my greatest childhood memories there. And it's a magical, unique place. So. One part of me obviously wants to keep it and, and hopes it gets saved and, and, and stays. But another part of me understands where my uncle was towards the end of his life in relations to it. So I don't know what's going to happen. Um, it's not really up to me. But I just hope whatever my cousins want to happen is what happens. And like I said, if if I could, though, I would I would love for it to stay you know in the family and, and, and become the magical place it's supposed to be. Speaking of family memories, we've got a question here from the co-host of the Janet Jackson podcast, uh, Janet Today. So her name's Courtney, Cousin Courtney, and she wants to know if you have any specific memories uh, or fond memories about the day that 2300 Jackson Street video was shot. Yes, I remember, I think it was Terrell, we had just gotten back from a baseball game that was far away and it was our house. And um, we drove back home and, and our whole family was there. So we, we got to shoot the video. It didn't feel like a music video, you know, because we were just having fun. And then the moments where we had to get together, we got together and, and did our little, you know, our little section. But it, it was, it was, you know what I love about that video is it, it, it showcased something called Family Day, which is something we used to have. The younger Jacksons, you know, I'd say from... Jafar down, um, maybe Dante, you know, Randy down, they don't really know too much about our family days that the older cousins got to experience. And it was a magical thing where, you know, once a month or once every other month, we'd go to a, one of the family's houses and we'd celebrate and, and just be a family. And it was so beautiful. 
And that's what I love about the 2300 Jackson video. It kind of captures what those were kind of like. But yeah, that, that was our house. And, and, you know, it felt like a, just a, a family day, but a captured one. And um, it was beautiful. Love, I love that video and song, actually. It's a very underrated track, mm, in my opinion. <laughs> very. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Those harmonies. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> All right, TJ, let's take our first break to chat about our latest sponsor here at the MJ Cast, Crack Corn. And we couldn't be more excited about this partnership. That's because it's a company started by one of our own, a member of the online MJ community and a huge fan of our show. The company's called Crack Corn. They make this ridiculously delicious ultra-premium puff corn. And what's puff corn? Well, you're really just going to have to try it to find out. But this stuff is truly amazing. It's something totally new and unlike anything you've ever tried before. In fact, it was just introduced this year and it's already making major waves across the snacking community. It's buttery, salty, sweet, delicious. It melts in your mouth with the most satisfying crunch. It is just incredible. And their latest flavor, which is a special Christmas candy cane flavor, is sure to have people talking about it. I've tried it and it's great. In fact, I recently brought some uh, along to a a work party, a staff room sort of <laughs> last day of work, uh, Christmas lunch type thing, and put it on the table and people were talking about it. They loved it. Pretty much everyone who tries it gets excited to share it because it gets a real reaction every time. As big fans of the MJ cast, they wanted to do something extra special for our listeners and they created something called Fan Packs. It's the best crack corn deal anywhere and it comes with a special little thank you surprise just for our listeners who head over to crackcorn.com slash the MJ cast. Go over there, check it out and try it for the very first time. It's beautifully packaged and presented in, in what crack corn calls an Ecolux gift box. It's very sharp and these fabulous fan packs are shipped directly to your door or that of a friend. Maybe consider it a, uh, a Christmas present and get somebody trying crack corn for the very first time. Let me tell you, they are going to love it. It's such a memorable experience. You're trying something totally new, and folks, it is ridiculously delicious. It's addictive, and these fabulous sets are less than $20 US after a built-in discount just for listeners of the MJ cast. They're gorgeous and sure to impress. Every time I've got crack corn in the house, my wife wants to gobble it up, especially when we're watching a movie. So head over to crackcorn.com slash the MJ cast to try this unique small batch snack. Uh, that makes this your chance to be one of the very first to try it. So head over to crackcorn.com slash the MJcast right now and snag one of those fan packs. And thank you, Crackcorn, for being the MJcast's very first sponsor. Uh, we love you guys and Merry Christmas. Let's get back to our interview, TJ. Okay, Identity Era. Yes. Another great album. I love the different vibe of it, the more futuristic sound on songs like Sex Appeal. Actually, the song I appreciate on it, which is one of my favorite 3G tracks, ended up being our wedding song when my wife and I got married. I love it. That's beautiful. We actually made a whole video of our relationship up until the point of our wedding that I cut to that song. Uh, we played it at our wedding in China. And you guys have had a lot to do with, uh, with, uh, with my life, actually, <laughs> now love, that I think about it. <laughs> I love it. I, I didn't know that. And, you know, every now and then I'll hear about you know, a song of ours being a wedding song, but I appreciate is one of actually my favorite songs from that album as well. Mm. And it's one that always kind of gets underappreciated. 
I really do feel that way from that from that album. I'll be honest with you. There's songs from that album I can't listen to. <laughs> um, I just, you know, which is sad. But um, that one, and there's a couple more, but that one in particular, I still listen to myself. And, and I just love the simplicity of it and, and the message it, it delivers. You know, it, it's so cool to hear how you and... And, and people still are enjoying it and it's meaning something in your lives. That's, that's, I appreciate that. So thank you. Yeah. That's my favorite kind of 3T track. Um, the, I think Frances said that her favorite song from chapter three is heaven. And that's, that's definitely mine as well. And I think there's a lot of similarities between those couple of songs, but I love that type. Yeah. So I, I want to know about the identity era. So obviously, you know, you had, astronomic success with brotherhood that did really well all over the world and then identity came out and clearly didn't do quite as well in the u.s as other markets Mm -hmm. and i kind of want to know about the inside story of that why didn't it do well what what happened there you know well first of all identity it was an interesting time in our lives because we we um we finally got off of sony and we finally kind of gotten our got our freedom at that time, although we could have and probably should have signed with a major company, we decided not to. We, we were so frustrated with big corporations and the bureaucracies that, that they sometimes have that we were like, we're doing this on our own. We had to create a whole nother album. And we did that. And we, we, we decided to go place to place and do it our own. We knew it would be harder. We knew it would be take longer, but we, we also felt it would be more rewarding and, and we'd have more control over our careers. So we were doing that. We, we started off in France and in and, and Holland and in Belgium, and I think there was another market it released in. But again, you know, the timing wasn't really on our side. Um, our goal was to release in the UK and in the States and eventually Asia. But, you know, there was external type of family things that were happening, one being the Super Bowl and, and one being, you know, the trial that really sidelined us and discouraged us. And I don't think people really understand what that means. But when you're inside, you know, from the inside and you're trying to make deals or, or, or get on radio stations and, and you're putting all this work in and, and then the answer is yes, 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 yes. And then no, all of a sudden, because it's something you have no control over, that's very disheartening and frustrating when you put years and years into the art. So I think we kind of, I don't want to say we gave up on the record too soon, but I, don't, I just don't think from where we were, we were willing or ready to, to try to fight all through the nonsense we were going to have to deal with from, you know, from the media and other outlets because of what was happening to other family members. Um, and I, I truly feel that's the reason why we didn't release another album for a while um, was because it was just hard. It was, it, And it's not until now that I'm able to deal with that and just ignore it and, and not care about it. Back then, I was very sensitive, and I think my brothers were. You know, that's sensitive on a personal level, but also sensitive because that's our family. And, you know, we love them. So it was just a, a funky time, and I think that also led to, uh, to the, the issues but, you know, and I'll say this, though, you know, I was just talking to a, a fan um, and she was telling me from the Philippines how, how Stuck on You plays all the time and how it's doing so well there um, because of this TikTok dance that Stuck on You has done. And, and it's a new thing that's going on. And, and you know, and 
would I have ever predicted that? Absolutely not. There wasn't like we had a meeting and said, we got to make Stuck on You go viral on TikTok. <laughs> it just happened. And, and that's an identity record. So you never know what the future is going to bring. The only thing you can control is your art and making it the best you can. And that's what you know I, I do, whether it's with my brothers or on my own. I, I just try to make the great, the best art I can and let the chips fall. And I can't say I've always thought that way, but it's very comforting and freeing to feel that way now. It's amazing how your perspective sort of really changes with age and, and experience. And like you said, yeah. you were sensitive at that time, but now you're not. And you sort of just block it out, let it go, move on. Yeah. It's big, you know, because, I mean, I still struggle with it a bit, even recording. You know, there's, look, when I'm recording, I was just in Nashville, and when I'm recording melodies or thinking of melodies or thinking of parts, a lot of what I do sounds like my family. But, you know, part of it is because I'm inspired by them. And the other part is because I grew up with them and I'm a Jackson. So it's like, that's what feels natural to me. And it took me a while to get to this place where I could just comfortably pursue that. But, you know, five years ago or and on before that, I always had to kind of go with the second idea that wasn't so Jackson. And, and it's freeing, freeing, absolutely freeing to just not care and, and to just say you could take it or leave it. And I think it's maturity, but I also think it's just observing how other artists that aren't Jacksons, who are the you know the Weekends and Chris Browns and Ushers of the world, and Jason Derulo, and there's many many more, and even on the female side too that borrow or are influenced by my family, it got to the point where it's like if they can do it, why can't I? You know, and and I still get the hate. I still there's still people that will say stop trying to be this or there'll only be one of this. But again, I think that's where the maturity kicks in. Is you know, it's, it's like, I'm just going to be me and I'm going to do what feels right and for the, for the craft and the art and whatever it is, it is. And, and it's so beautiful. I wish I could explain how freeing that is, but it is. It's, it's, it's been a life changer for me, at least as an artist. You mentioned um, a bit earlier during the 3T darker times involved with Sony. Could you sort of give us a little bit of insight into that Sony fallout and how that affected not only probably you guys and your music, but also you guys as a family. It was hard. It was hard because we were getting a lot of misguided information and and false promises from various places. And it was really challenging because we were coming off this huge high of brotherhood and not able to to do anything about it. And then on top of that, you're seeing, you know, NSYNC and Backstreet Boys continue to pursue their goals and, and to get larger and to expand their fan base and, and increase their catalogs. And here we are, who are brothers who's been had been doing it for, you know, 10, 15 years at that point, just stuck on one album. And it was super, super hard, you know, and we, like I said, we didn't know what the issue was. We just knew we couldn't come out. And it was, you know, it, it was challenging. It, it, it was as challenging as people may think. But at the end of the day, you know, we, we stayed strong and, and continued to, to be one as a family and, and got through it. But I don't know. I, I just think, I think 
I don't know. It, it was a tough time and, and something that I, I, I've, that's still tough for us to swallow as brothers. But when it comes down to it, you know, I, I truly feel everything happens for a reason. And, and I always try to see the brighter things in, in situations. So that's where we're at. Did you guys ever get to the bottom of what Sony's issue was? I know there was an issue between my uncle and Sony. And, you know, my uncle had advised us not to release anything um, because he felt that Sony would sabotage it and really hurt our careers. And we were told we were going to go to get removed from Sony and onto a different major label and how it was in effect and and how it was happening, you know, next month. And next thing you know, it was years and and nothing ever happened. And then Sony still had our rights and our, our next album just sitting on it. And it took a while for us to get off, get it back and and to move on. And I, I I'm not an attorney and I should know this answer, but I don't. But. There's a law where if you have a contract, I, I think a contract signed in New York is only good for seven years or something like that. But because we signed in California, it was the contract is good for life. So they pretty much had us until we released it or until they dropped us. And we couldn't really get out of the situation. We tried, but we couldn't. That's when I just picked up and moved. I, I had to get out. I moved to Texas. You know, I, I started a small family and I just had to turn the page because I was going crazy. And, um, you know, it took a while, but we eventually got our freedom. And like I said, that's why we did Identity the way we did it. We didn't want to deal with any major label because of it was so frustrating and traumatizing what, what had just happened to us. So you mentioned an album that Sony had, and I think your brothers also told us this, that you actually worked on an album for Sony that's never come out. Yeah. And I think, I think um, Taj let us know that Michael himself was somewhat instrumental in that album and its production. Can you talk a little bit to that? Yeah, the, we refer to that album as the Lost Album. And, you know, we did every single song on the album that was finished. We were actually meeting and doing uh, marketing plans for it. We were coming out. Like Taj had said, my uncle was very invested in that album. There's several songs that... He was very strong on. There was a couple that he was going to sing on for the album. To be honest, I, I feel it's the best 3T album. And, and it's unfortunate that it hasn't come out. And I'm hoping one day it will. You know, we spent years. And I think it was just the album that we created when we, when we had confidence. And we had an understanding of where we wanted to go. And I just feel it had a little bit of everything. It had our ballads. And, and it had some strong ones in it. And it had some up-tempo ones that, that everyone seemed to really like. And that was something that was new. You know, we we didn't really... The one thing with 3T and Brotherhood, I, I don't know if we really found ourselves from an up-tempo side of things, you know, where other artists did, who were our comparisons, who, who were in our same world. And on the Lost album, we had some up-tempos that we were very strong on and that felt like 3T but and were unique that were going to come out. But... It just wasn't meant to be. And again, I hope the album does come out. I, I, I hope I could share it. And my brothers, you know, we all share it for our fans. But as of now, it's just it's just in in, in the three T vault. <laughs> <laughs> One day we will be ready. One day, I hope. Yeah, we'll be ready for it. it, it it's gonna. It's a fun one, and I, I really hope we figure a way to do something where where it gets the proper push and and some type of promotion that it deserves. So 
2019, we're going to skip forward a bit, and this is a little bit for time, because do not skip past Chapter 3, folks. It's a great album. <laughs> it, was, it was a great Love era. It. We had that wonderful uh, reality show that gave us this sort of insight that we hadn't had with the Jackson's Next Generation, um, and yeah. you and your cousins. So, But just for time, we're going to skip forward to 2019, where we saw the release of Insomnia and I Don't Deserve This. And Jamin and I, at the time, we were like, oh, this is some pretty cool sounds right here. It was like, it was a new mm-hmm. era from TJ. Did you talk to your brothers about solo efforts much before that release and is that tricky because you know you're, you're still in a band really so is that tricky yeah. when you're gonna come out with some solo stuff for really the first time yeah you know no i didn't really talk to them we don't it's that's one thing that's that would surprise people it surprises me we don't really discuss individual projects in my family i don't know what that is i don't know where it comes from but we just don't I never intended to be a solo artist. I really intended to just write. So I would go to Nashville to write, write, you know, songs for females, songs for teens, songs for country artists. I was going up there literally writing 10 to 12 songs every trip, which was about every three or four months. And then after doing that seven times, I I started to get a little collection of songs that felt right for TJ. By the way, I'm I'm sorry for referring to myself as TJ. It sounds no, it's so okay. Obnoxious, but I don't know why I got in the habit of doing that. But um, yeah, I just started feeling there's songs that could be good for a project that I may want to do one day. Sure thing, I was enjoying my trips to Nashville and and creating music and 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 you know a couple other people were were saying you need to do something if you're you're if three T's not going to do anything now, don't just you know you're not getting younger, just do something and. You know, I'm sure that weighed in on me as well, and and I just went for it. To be honest, I never thought about harming the group. I always saw it as a benefit. I'm a 3T, you know, member, will always be. I'm excited for the next 3T project, but I can't just sit back and wait. At the same time, I, I have to do music. I have to keep it going. You know, I, I hope there will be another 3T project. I know nothing's on the short-term radar, but I'm hoping one day it will. I think I never really felt like I was leaving the group or, or felt guilty for doing a solo project because, you know, Terrell had already done several projects by the time I released anything. So I never felt like I was turning my back on my brothers. Not only, like I said, because Terrell was, but also because, you know, I'm a proponent for 3T. If 3T wanted to do a tour tomorrow, I'm, I'm there. So uh, I, I never feel, I, no matter what happens in my solo career, there's no better feeling to me than being on stage with my brother. So if no matter what happens in TJ land, 3T will hopefully always be there for us and, and something we'll share with our community and our fans. And then, of course, 2020 kicked off with a great musical release from you with the single I Can't Stand It like yeah. a great a great track now 2020 like with all this happening as the pandemic then erupted a few months in how did the 2020 we ended up getting affect or change your musical projects this year it it affected and changed a lot actually you know i had a whole plan to release different song and and different a different album and a different way of doing it i was planning to be in europe 
and promoting it, but it didn't happen that way. When things like that happen and, and your plans get disheveled, I'm pretty good at changing directions and just letting it be. It wasn't meant to be, you know, and it wasn't meant to happen that way. So I've adjusted, I've, I've done, you know, I just started doing a, a chill hop kind of um, experimental project, which is going to be my focus for 2021. And then, you know, hopefully once this pandemic nice. is behind us, in 2022, I'll go back to the album I was excited to release in 2020 that never came out. And I'm confident that the music will still sound the way it should because I used a lot of live instrumentation. My song last night, uh, you know, it's very mm -hmm. live, live musicians and horns. That's pretty much the direction of the whole album. And that was going to be for that album. But, you know, um, th like I said, things happen. And, and now I'm just got... I have a new project to do this year or, you know, in 2021 and, and 2022, we'll see the live stuff and, and the direction I wanted to go. And I'll, I'll get out to Europe then and, and promote it the way I've always wanted to. And, and Australia. Come on, come on. And Australia. <laughs> yeah. Down under. Yes, Australia. And, and that's one thing that I have to say that's been such a beautiful uh, thing with my project is, I've seen and experienced so much love and warmth from people everywhere, places I didn't expect, you know, from South America, Australia, Asia. There's many others, but I didn't, I knew there were fans there. I knew that there was love there, but the amount of fans and the amount of love and the depth of the love has been so, so important, empowering to me. And uh, I just want to thank everyone who may be listening, who showcased that love, who spread that love in many different ways from from telling me to to dancing to my music to listening to to drawing pictures it means so much to me and it's something that i will always appreciate and and something i'll always cherish so for anyone out there regardless of where you're at i appreciate it i see you and i and i thank you that's that's beautiful now, for a casual observer, you've been dropping a lot of music this year, you know, single after single. Um, would you be able to explain the release strategy for us? And, and um, <laughs> it, it's a trilogy of EPs, right? Yeah, so it, it's, and I go back and forth on this because it was supposed to be a trilogy before the pandemic. And then it switched to just two EPs or one EP in an album and then switched to two EPs. But I'm kind of back on the trilogy. I just don't think the third part will, will come out for some time, at least several years, to be honest. But I do have a, an idea on how to, to wrap up the trilogy. Um, but yeah, the release strategy is, the, the, the mindset is simple. Enjoy it and make sure your fans are enjoying it. Do what they would want. And it's, it's been hard to adjust to that because I grew up in an era where you, you release a song and you push and promote it for three months and there's a certain way and method you promote it and push it. I've went away from that and I, I'm happy I have because for me, I've been there and done that and, and if I'm not going to enjoy this process 100% every step of the way, I don't know how long I can last doing this. And I made a promise to myself and to, you know, my fans that we're going to enjoy this. We're, it's going to be our journey. I'm going to release music, you know, as much as I can and, and trying to make sure the quality is as great as it can. And we're going to have fun doing it. And that's what my strategy is. I, I'm not going to get caught up on doing this show or that show or getting on this station or, or doing it this way. 
I've been there, done that. It's draining. It's tiring. It's it's frustrating. It's it can be disappointed when when you get sidetracked, or I should say, you know, hoodwinked when they saying you're gonna they're gonna do this, and they really just wanted you to talk about this member or to to set you up in in a negative way about you know to talk about whatever. I, I have no interest in that. And if I sense any of that going on, I I, I say no. It's been kind of refreshing and freeing. Some in my camp, you know, want me to do more promotional things that that would maybe expose me to more viciousness. But I'm not I'm not for that. I'm going to do me and do it the way from my fans and myself and my family. And I'll let it grow organically. I don't plan on just doing music this year or next year or the year after. This is what I'm going to try to do until the day I die. And, And I believe in art and I believe in organic growth. That's what my goal is. And that's that's my mindset going into every single song. Let's talk Damaged, TJ. Damaged. (laughs) So uh, last night, it's such a smooth and funky groove. Like when I wrote notes, when I listened to to the EP, like every single song has smooth on it or smooth groove. Um, Mm. So... Talk us like Jamin. What what are your some of your favorite tracks? You've got like last night as well. Oh yeah, last night for sure. When I the first time I saw the last night video even and and heard that song, that just instantly went on high rotation in the Bull family household. I love how you <laughs> talked about cool. it. When when you said it was like organic and funky, that's exactly what I love about it. You know, it, yeah. it harkens back to that seventies vibe that funk vibe and i love that song it's probably my favorite on the ep but i also love um damaged as well the the final track mm. it's a masterpiece and takes so many twists and turns but brilliant mm. ep and and just congratulations on being able to to get it out for the world to enjoy it's beautiful thank you i think the smoothness you're referring to is just me trying to be my authentic self and being real with myself and what I, what I am, you know, and that's someone who loves R&B, someone that's been influenced by, you know, my whole family. And I think as long as you can stay true to who you are with your art, it's always going to have this sense of smoothness and it's going to feel right. In general, it's going to feel right. And that's something I, I take pride in. I'm not willing to, to do what's trendy or to do what's what's current unless I don't unless I enjoy it you know and and damage is a perfect example I've I had no intention of doing that kind of sound I've always loved chill hop and lo-fi but I didn't really have any plan to record a song like that anytime soon but because of the pandemic you know I reached out to my producer David Tuline and said you know I'm thinking of of doing a chill hop type of vibe can you just come up with some ideas and send them my way and and I'll see if any are resonating with me. And he sent me, you know, a couple of tracks. The first one I fell in love with and I just would listen to it over and over and the melody just came in my head and the idea and it became damaged. And like I said, the 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 whole the album I'm doing this year, uh, in twenty twenty one is is very much in that vein. It's that smoothness and it's that and it's what I it's what feels right to me. And I'm I'm big on that, you guys. I'm not gonna follow I'm going to just go with the flow. I'm going to follow my heart and not follow the trends. And, and I'm going to hope that, that the fans are enjoying it. 
I love hearing that. I love it. Can I also just say, I love the visuals that you are using for this EP, like the, the single cover, the, just the artwork and the video style, like the visuals are really strong. So I just really want to give you props for that as well. Well, yes, that's Omar Pachersky from uh, Pictogram Studio in France. He's a genius. Uh, yes. And, and, you know, he... Um, you know, I was blessed to connect with him, and and he he gets me and you know what I want to do, and he challenges me, and you know, and and he's just a great partner in that way in in finding a visual for for me. Yeah, that I I have to credit him. He he's the brainchild behind most of my visuals, and and I'm thankful for him. Now, while we're on visuals, I've got to ask some of these some of these videos are very how do we say this romantic. Uh, <laughs> and, and I want to know truly, how does Francis feel about some of these videos? There is no way in hell my wife would be. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that. You know, she she Francis. I think we've been together long enough, and she's been through enough, and she understands the, what I do. You know, we've we've been together for over twenty years, and so she's been around the music industry for twenty years. Whether you know it's you know whether she wants to admit that or not she's seen it a lot and she knows that that you know visually and what you project is sometimes going to be you know you have to go into a character you know she knows she has my heart she's she is my queen and as i say i i I can only i'm so lucky to have her i truly don't think i'd be anywhere near where i am not only from an artist to artistic standpoint but just as a as a person without her and she knows she knows where my heart is, and she knows <laughs> what she means to me. So I think just that time. I don't think I could get away with doing this stuff, you know, three or four years into a relationship. But when you're when you're <laughs> above twenty years, you get a little bit more, you know, leeway to to experiment and do things. So, uh, but yeah, I, I know. Trust me, I know. <laughs> there, it hasn't it hasn't been perfectly smooth, but it's actually been very peaceful. <laughs> it's been very peaceful. TJ, around the US election time, I saw you were sort of sharing resources via your social media and commenting on some of the social issues. What drives you to speak out on those topics, especially at that time? I just feel I have to use any influence I can to make the world a better place for, for all of us, but really for the next generation, for our future. And, you know, you know which which the Arbery murder, um, Ahmad Arbery. That one really got to me, and that one really affected me. And I had seen and experienced, you know, my my little share of of racial injustice, and and but the way Arbery lost his life, how it, it felt as if he was a blow a human, and the cover up that that took place after was just heart disheartening and and I made a promise to myself that I will always try to to do the right thing and and you know and and it's tough because it's not that I was ever afraid to to be more social or or to speak my mind I just always have thought of myself and my art as an escape so I I have to find well I'm, I always try to find myself walking that fine line of being that social activist or, or, or supporting causes or supporting things. But also I, I want to remember that p- 
life is hard. So people are going through tough moments and I don't want them to go to my Instagram page and then hear, see more tough things and, and to get even more dis, you know depressed or, or more down. I really want to be a source of joy for people. So it's hard balance, but you know, I, I was just too inspired and I felt it was too important and we're at we were at too critical of a moment in 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 humanity to, to just to just ignore. There's been some things that I've been wanting to post recently that I've like, you know what, let's just hold off on it. But it's something that I plan to do for the for forever. I just want to make sure I'm managing it so that people are, are getting the escape because that's what I want to be first is and that's what I think I'm best at is being an escape for people and and to just trying to bring smiles to people. Awesome answer. Thank you. Yeah, I, but I, I really do salute you for using your platform and and sharing your opinions and, and resources when it comes to this kind of stuff. I think that is important. And yeah, I, I really yeah. salute you for that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Especially being in such a divided country i mean we could see you know watching the election from afar q and i were sort of shocked at just how many voters turned out for trump and (laughs) and i mean it that's a lot of people and you you are a musician who is you know marketing out to a lot of people and and putting your real thoughts and opinions out there like that on social media you can see why a lot of artists hesitate to do it because it might impact that bottom line yeah it's brave yeah yeah, it, it is, but it's, you know, it's what's right, you know, and, and and I think if anyone who followed me, they would know who I voted for or what I stand by or who I, you know, who I would agree with. But I, I try to never acknowledge that or never say it for two reasons, because there are, I truly believe there are people who are voting for a Trump, but not realizing what his messaging has done to several other people. I have a, some fans that that really are strong Trump supporters, and I know they're not racist. I I can guarantee you that, and I know they have big hearts. I can guarantee you that. I just think sometimes, um, and the media doesn't do the best job either. They 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 can slander, you know, even Trump. They can slander him and and make him look even more vicious than he is. Saying that, I do feel that with his experience and what he's been through, and being in the industry as long as he has been. He knows how to play the game a bit and do what he needed to do to try to get the biggest support. And and like you said, over 70 million voted for him. So, you know, he hit some chord, right? But like I said, I just try to project good human qualities and and try to just remind people that we have to remember the ones who are oppressed or the ones who are in a disadvantaged situation. And we have to respect them. We have to listen to them. We can't assume... You know, I can't assume, I, I can't tell what a, a, a European who, who migrated to the U.S., what that's like. You know, they have to tell me and I have to listen to them. And I think sometimes people assume they know all the answers. They assume they know why this isn't happening for this type of person. And oftentimes they're wrong and they're not really feeling it. And I'm just trying to make the world more empathetic to each other and, and doing it in my own little way. TJ, change of gears here, but two nights ago you tweeted, and I quote, I love my grandmother. She is a queen. Hashtag Catherine Jackson. Yeah. Explain to us, you know, what Catherine means to your family and the world. 
I can only explain perfectly what it means to me and my family. And she is the queen. She is, if I am down, I can think of my grandmother and smile. I think about her every day. I love her, you know, more than I can express. I've learned so much from her, um, you know, and and when I tweeted that, I was probably just in a moment where I was thinking of her and just realizing how blessed I was to have, or I am, I'm sorry, to have her as my grandmother. I don't know, you know, it, what's cool is because of social media, I've seen so many people and because of things like those tweets, a lot of people reach out to me telling me their own little stories about Katherine Jackson or what she means to them. And I didn't realize how influential my grandmother was to everyone, but she really is. And, and she rightfully is because what you see and what you feel is her. And like I said, it's tough being a Jackson and it's tough and we've dealt with a lot, but we learn to, to move on and to show love always because of her. And, you know, I tell her, I thank her all the time. I, I tell her her importance in our family and, and she's so humble about it. She goes, so oh, stop it. You're going to make me cry. That's, you know, that's what she <laughs> says a lot. But I tell her, you know, you, you, are, you are such a queen grandma and I, I always love you and I always want to thank you for being you. And I think it's important to tell people that, especially your grandmother. So that's what that is. It's just me expressing my love and appreciation for her as a person. I think it's been pretty clear that Mother Catherine has been a rock for your family through so, so much. What toll has the media, the allegations, all of that taken on you? It's been, it's been tough. It's been so tough. You know, it's been tough for many ways, reasons. Um, growing up, when you're a kid and hearing it, and like the 93 allegations, I was 15. And it's like your first taste of, of viciousness. And, you know, it's hard to hear things being accused of your uncle and, and seeing him, experiencing the love of him and experience how important of a person he is in your life and how he's only done amazing and, and wonderful supportive things for you and seeing how it's affecting him and knowing you can't really do much to stop it. That was hard and that was something that was really tough for, for myself to get through. And then it just carries on. You know, you go to school and you got to hear jokes or you go out to eat and you got to hear people talking about it and acting as if they know him and, and talking about what he did or didn't do or what he's into and what he's not into. And they could be so far off. But that's just, I guess, one of the unfortunate things of being, you know, one of the most popular persons on the planet. You know, and like I said, it, even the recent stuff, it's frustrating. It's tough. But it, it, it hits me a little different. I understand what the news is. I understand their aim and their goals and, and their reasoning. But at the same time, I'm also a big cousin to three kids who, who and that's their father. And, you know, and even my kids, that's their, their uncle. You know, they're, they're, we're all very protective of him. And that's where it gets hard because it's like, dealing with having how how do you help these kids get through this frustrating and tough time when the world is trying to crucify someone you love that's the challenging thing that's the toughest moment for me now but yeah i i 
I don't know. I, I still, it's still hard. You know, you could wake up and see a news headline and, and it could ruin your day. And that's only because I know how magical of a person he was and I know how much love he had in his heart. So it's going to bother me knowing how far off base it is. But that's just, I guess, the price you pay when you love someone that much. There's going to be pain and there's going to be frustration. And, and that's what I experience. On the flip side of that, does it also give you hope when you see the support that your family and that Michael still gets? Like, you know, we all feared last year the worst that, you know, he'd be over and cancelled. You'd never hear his song on the radio again. But now he's still earning the most as a deceased celebrity, according to the Forbes list. He's still every single year being the number one earning um, celebrity, his music is back on radio stations and not even in a small way. Like it's pretty common that you'll hear uh, MJ song on a a radio station. Celebrities are still wearing MJ t-shirts. You've got the BTS dynamite video where it's (laughs) a clear, amazing, beautiful tribute to your uncle and his style. So does that flip side help and give you hope that you know what it did not go to plan for for a big portion of people and that michael is still you know the people still see the real true michael and support that yeah it's it's huge it's huge without the fans support and them you know rallying together and and you know putting pieces together and and to support my uncle and it was just huge. It was it was so uh, warm and and still is when people when when fans show that because my uncle always said it's the fans. You know, um, I I do what I do for my fans. You know, it was so cool to see to know, have those experiences of him saying that in private, and then you know long after he has passed, it's his fans that are coming to bat for him and and. And supporting him and defending him and and um, and being there for him. So it's as if you know, it, and it's very warming because it's as if he put, you know, he he bet on the fans and and they're paying it, you know, and they and they've won and they've they they've been strong and and haven't folded. Yeah, and as far as the artists, it's beautiful, you know, and and I I, I just think it's it's cool because my uncle was very influential in the message of love and. And the the message of put your heart into your craft resonated with those artists. And it's very cool for them to have ignored any negativity and pursued and continued to promote and support him. But I think for a lot of these artists, they they get it. You know, they've had their own little mini issues and and mini struggles with media and and outlets. So they can understand what it would be like for my uncle. And, And now that he's not here to defend himself... You know, a lot of them are like, no, we, we're not going to go that way. I'm going to I'm going to go out of my way to support them. And, you know, it's it's been beautiful. And there's been a lot of artists. And, and if any are listening, I want to thank you because it means a lot to not only my uncle's legacy and not only to his family, but also to his kids. You know, like I said earlier, we, we wear, you know, the Jackson name very proud and we try to make sure it represents love and and you know humanity and 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 when that tries to get tarnished from just a handful of people it it can be very tough but 
if you if you live with love and you and you're really strong on it, I truly believe that the truth will always prevail. And and you know my uncle will prevail, and he will always be the symbol of love. And and what he stood for and meant, I think, will always be what he is. And and you know, so I, I'm I'm blessed to have all the fans do what they did. And and if you haven't heard me, thank you. I'm thanking you now again because <laughs> it's it's you. Who, who've done so much for him and like I said our entire family so thank you last year was a heck of a year like in some ways probably worse for some people than maybe this year it's been tough this year but it was a tough year last year what last year when leaving Neverland dropped what was that like for you as a member of the Jackson family um, because also you would have known some of these guys Oh, it, it was it was awful. <laughs> it's, I don't really have any more words. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was just bad. It was bad, and it's 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 it wasn't our first time dealing with it, but it's the it was you know the first time in a while because you know when my uncle passed, the sentiment around him was very positive, and and they realized that you know how he was treated was wrong, and and that. And they started to really dig into what he stood for and the and the message of love that he wanted to deliver, and then to all of a sudden have to deal with these guys who who are going to make accusations, knowing that in a way they can't really lose because if they you know tarnish him to enough and they can get some type of credibility, they can make a great fortune doing so. That's just our world right now. And, and so it was really tough and really, you know, I lost many hours of sleep as a beloved nephew of my Uncle Michael, and, but also as guardian to my cousins and, and just trying to make sure they understood who their dad was. And, you know, because it, it, the media and, and your peers can be very influential. You know, it, 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 it was just a tough time period. And it, mm. it was just tough. It was just tough. Not to mention that you and your brothers were sort of dragged into it in a disgusting way by uh, media outlets insinuating that there was something, you know, going on there, which it was just terrible. And I can't imagine how you guys would have handled that. Like, Yeah. Uh, you know, and truthfully, that one didn't, I mean, it didn't bother me as much because probably because I just know what the media is going to do. And I knew if I ever, someone put a mic or, you know, a camera in front of me to ask about it, I could, you know, I would just tell from my heart how it was bogus, and, and, and I knew that wouldn't have legs, but what was just concerning is when you know there's there's channels or, or production companies that have an agenda, and they have, a, a like I said, the support of a handful of people to make sure that's delivered, because the world is small, and anyone can say anything about anyone, and if you have some support on what you're saying, you can you can make some leeway. And that's that was the troubling thing is just knowing that in the back of my mind and having to deal with that and the fear of that. But you know, at the same time, I I was hopeful and and somewhat optimistic that the truth would always prevail and and would prevail sooner than later. And I think the the sentiment on my uncle is coming back to where it should be, and that's that he was a person of love. I truly feel feel that his love was too big for this world. I think simple things that he believed in, holding people, telling people, looking in their eye, telling them that, you know, I love you, I believe in you. 
I think sometimes it's so sad to say, but those kind of messages are still too pure for our world. And if you're wanting to get money or, or do something negative, you could t- twist that easily and make something scandalous. But my uncle wasn't that. He was all love and, and you know, and, and beauty. And through my life, throughout my life, from the time I could walk to the time, you know, we last time I saw him, I've had many up and down periods, many very difficult moments in my life. And every single one, he was there as a loving uncle and, and supportive and and I appreciate that and will always, always fight for him and, and his truth. You know, um, one of the biggest warriors out there for Michael's innocence is your brother Taj. Yeah. Uh, there's, not a, there's not a week that goes by that he isn't doing an interview with somebody and he's in the background working on crafting this documentary series about Michael. Are you involved with that documentary series at all? I'm not involved with the documentary series um, I, I am not, but I will say that I'm very proud of Taj, you know, and Taj is, he doesn't get enough credit in this way because as a Jackson member, you know, we kind of grew up at least from the older generation and I consider myself somewhat of the older generation because I was around them. You know, we were kind of taught to, to, to just ignore it that sometimes addressing things would give it more legs. You know, but Taj has been kind of on the forefront of, of flipping that on its head and realizing that in today's world, sometimes you have to tack things right on before they get legs, squash things. And he's always been a believer of that, you know, as far as I can, the last at least 10 years. And he's always went to bat for my uncle and, and I appreciate it and, and I'm thankful for him. And, you know, he's passionate about it, which is which is beautiful. So I'm proud of my brother. I'm proud of everything he's doing. I think it's important and, um, you know, I, I know he's going to continue on and always defend my uncle until, you know, until he can't any longer. Just moments ago, you spoke about how you thought Michael's love was too big for this world. And I don't think you'd find many MJ fans that would possibly disagree with that statement. But what was Michael like as a regular guy? We love hearing those stories about just MJ, the regular guy. Have you got any standout stories that would really surprise people? I would just say he he, he loved to have fun and he loved to understand things and ask questions um, he would call in the middle of the night saying, um, you know, so, so, you know, I remember, <laughs> um, you know, the Barry Bonds situation, you know, Barry Bonds was breaking home run records, breaking Babe Ruth um, home run records and was dealing with, you know, some accusations himself. And my uncle was very interested in that and trying to understand that. So he'd call and he knew I was close with Barry and he would call me to ask about what's going on and he heard about it. And he, and, you know, and how can he help Barry get through that situation? And, you know, and he was just plugged into to what was going on. And, and he was big about trying to, to, to share his knowledge with people that he believed in. But yeah, he was a beautiful person who, who loved to have fun. He loved to throw water balloons and, and tease and, and um, you know, do, do silly things. Underline everything. Like I said, it was a huge heart that would give anything to anyone. Um, he, he, his staff. If if anyone needed anything, he would do it. If someone lost, you know, one of their parents lost their lives, he would pay for the funeral or pay for, 
to make sure they were taken care of. He tried to treat everyone with such huge love and, and respect and, and try to over, you know, always give more than what, what people expected to make them smile. That was who he was. A few years after Michael's passing, you testified in the AEG trial and your testimony was particularly compelling because not only do you discuss Michael as being in good spirits the last time that you got to see him, but you also emphatically stated that you believed that he was murdered. Could you briefly talk to us about your last time seeing Michael and and then why you believe he was murdered? Yeah, I... um... My last time with my uncle was at a, a function for my grandparents. Um, and like we did all the time, we connected in the latter part of his life. We we talked about parenting and family and, you know, are you going to have any more kids? Yes. Yes, I plan to, too. Um, you know, that's what we were talking about was was parenting and family. And it was beautiful. We'd laugh, we'd joke, and, and it was a great time. As far as the, the I, I, for, I think it was just tough because my uncle, the last several years of his life, was truly fearful for his life. He always felt, um, he would always refer that he felt like someone was going to try to take his life over the catalog. And, you know, I always thought he was, I didn't think he was right. I thought he was maybe a little more paranoid than he should have been. But then the way he passed, the way he died... It was very questionable and it, it made me think, you know, maybe maybe there was some foul play. Maybe there is foul play. And, you know, I, I just I think just knowing from what my uncle wanted to do and the goals he had and what he was talking about, I still feel that there's something off about the way he passed. And, you know, I, I've been I don't want to go too far into it because I don't want to, you know, bring in more attention to to negative MJ news. But I, I, I still don't feel, I still feel something is off. I just do. Mm. Uh, you just mentioned plans that Michael was talking about for the future. Could you elaborate on any of those plans that Michael never got to realize? Well, I think he, I don't think he would have had, I think he would have more kids, to be honest. I think there would have been at least <laughs> one more. That was a question that we talked about. He asked me, was I done? Because I just had... Um, Didi, my, my, she's now 12. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I had just had her and he was, he got to meet her for the first time and he was asking me, are you done Applehead? And I said, no, I think I need at least one more. And he, <laughs> and he, he smiled and, and he said, me too, you know? And so I, I think he was going to have more and I don't know how many more, but he enjoyed parenting, enjoyed fatherhood and, and, um, you know, it was, it was his passion. You know, once he had Prince I'll never forget when he told us he was he was going to be a father. We were in Disney in, in Paris, you know, and we were there for 3T and he was there for promoting something. And we just our paths crossed and we were both at the Disney Hotel and, and we connected and, you know, he told us and it, it was beautiful because he was so overjoyed and excited to, to be a father and um you know, it's it still breaks my heart. Like I said, that he he didn't get to experience the beauty and joy of of father as as long as he 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 should have. One of the highlights, just listening to you talk today, TJ, has absolutely been about your fatherhood, Michael's fatherhood, and that shared 
parenting friendship that was blossoming and encouraging you both. You you mentioned that Michael helped after your mother was murdered and then fate had it such that you did the same for his mm. children. Yeah. So through your grief through both of those things, did it somewhat feel like one of those full circle moments in life that you were put in that position as guardian of Michael's children? Well, I, I, I think I remember the last several years of, of my uncle's life, me trying to figure out something to get him. And I couldn't think of it. You know, there's no TV, you know, he liked gadgets. He liked new technology um, even though he wasn't the best at using them or putting them together, he, he loved to know what was happening and, and what was going, the future. He, he was into that. So, But I couldn't get him anything because, you know, before I could get it, he already had it, you know, from his connections or they were sending it to him for his feedback. So I could never figure out what I could get for him. So I used to get him parenting books and, and you know, but it was never of, of anything that was substantial where I felt like I could pay him back and... When, when he passed, you know, I, I've, I felt a, a strong pulling to be there for, for his kids and to be there and to help, you know, in any way I can for them to be what he, you know, the way he wanted them to be. And, you know, with my brothers, I told my grandmother that, you know, we're not going anywhere. It's hard what, what these, you know, my cousins are going to have to go through, but we will be there for him. And, you know, at that time, I was the, the one that had, you know, the kids. I was married with kids, and not many of my cousins were. And I, my, my grandmother would go out of town. She'd always ask me to be there. Um, I would live almost two hours away, so I'd drive in and, and spend the time with my cousins and just be the best big cousin they could be. And then in time, I became guardian, and, and I, I, I took that role and still take that role very seriously. You know, and it's it's not the easiest thing to do because I'm not their father and, and I'm not much, much, oh, I am older than them, but I was their cousin first. You know, I was like their peer first. And then to try to be in this parental role, it, it could be challenging. So I had to kind of take a different approach to it. I had to just be there for them and, and, and just be like the big brother for them. I don't know. I, I, I couldn't have lived life without being there and doing what I did. I, I couldn't have. I would have always regretted not doing more for them. I would have always thought about them. Now that they're older and, and getting more adjusted to life, I, I feel like I can now pursue me and my, my career and what I want to do fully. I can't say I've always felt that way. And I think that's why it took me also so long to do my own music it's because, you know, before 2019, I, I, I wouldn't have felt, I would have felt it was too early and the kids were still too young. So I wanted to wait till they were all adults before I pursued and did my thing. Mm, a really honorable decision. And I think the, you know, the entire Michael Jackson fan community, when we look at you, you know, not only do we see an amazing musician, um, but also somebody who's taken a really important lead role uh, following his passing in terms of the family. So thank you. Yeah, you, you know what, though? And I, I'm going to hesitantly stop you. I, I don't, I appreciate the, the thanks, but I truly don't feel they're warranted. I don't. I, I, I owe so much mm -hmm. to my uncle. Um, I, I've always felt like it was the right thing to do. I, I didn't do it for thanks or, 
you know, or attention or anything. Um, I did it from my heart. Saying that, the, you know, and, and this is a good time to mention this. It's, I truly believe Francis, my wife, is the one who, who uh, you know, who deserves more of the praise because, you know, she had her own business and we had our own life um, two hours away from L.A. that we were very comfortable and happy in. And when I became guardian, we uprooted, you know, to try to, to try to bring this, this blended family together and trying to do it the best way we can. And she sacrificed more than me. You know, I had this pulling. I, I felt this pulling. I, I, I felt in debt to my Uncle Michael. But for her, she was just following her husband and following his heart. So I, I owe so much to her for, for supporting me and never giving me an issue or never throwing you know difficult moments in my face she it wasn't easy and it's not easy you know doing this not for me or her or our family but it was necessary and and I'm just thankful for her that I have her and and her support so if anyone's trying to thank me really it's it should be going to her because she sacrificed a lot Thank you, Francis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what a team. What a team. All right, TJ and Q, let's take our second and final break of the episode, this time to talk a little bit about the MJ Cast's shop, which people can access at themjcast.com slash shop. We love our merch store and so do many of our listeners. It's a great way to get your hands on some Michael Jackson slash the MJ Cast merch. You can wear it out to the shops. You can take it around with you and really get people talking. It's great. And some really, really good gifts as well coming into Christmas. Let's talk about some of the designs that we have uh, at themjcast.com slash shop. So we've got lots of different products and I'm going to talk about seven great designs and all of these designs can be applied to to all kinds of different products. And and the products include t-shirts and hoodies and mugs and laptop sleeves and phone cases and artworks and tote bags and you name it there's just so many different things there's even masks on there and we know that now more than ever it is so important with coronavirus so you can get some really great masks with uh, mj cast or michael jackson designs on them and speaking of designs we do have seven great ones Uh, the most popular by far is our classic sunset logo which has the MJ Cast logo there and a cool retro sunset 80s vibe design. And we we sell a lot of that one and we get emails from people that love it. And and I love uh, seeing photos of people wearing uh, that one out in public on T-shirts and different things. It's really cool. And it gives me a real kick to know that the, uh, the MJ Cast is, is being supported out there publicly. And speaking of our logos, our second design uh, is called Nine Logos. And you can get all nine of our seasonal logos, including our Christmas one, our Halloween, one uh, all in one spot in a grid pattern Uh, again either on a t-shirt or a hoodie or lots of those other products Uh, the the next couple of designs are text-based designs and you've probably seen people getting around with those cool helvetica list style uh, t-shirt designs and that's exactly what these are so you can get the jackson's brothers names you can get all the captain eo characters or even all of michael jackson's solo albums listed there in that cool text design and again you can get that on a shirt or uh, all different kinds of products i recently got a great gift actually uh, i haven't opened it yet it's for christmas it's already under the tree but i know that elise has sent me this beautiful white mug with the uh, jackson brothers names on there and I can't wait to get that one open. 
All right. So the last couple of designs I want to talk about are ones that I recently designed myself. I designed all of these myself, but the last two that I want to discuss are ones I've spent a lot of time on. And these are, I'm really proud of them. They're 90s PC adventure game inspired retro pixel art shirts. And you've got one called the Pixel Tour, which has all of the opening tour costumes that Michael Jackson wore in his solo tours and he's standing there in all of them in, in pixel art design uh, with, again, a cool like kind of 80s sort of retro vibe to it. It's really, really fun. And then another one called Victory, which has all the Jackson brothers there and their Victory tour costume in pixel art design, again, in that retro artwork that you guys, I'm sure, will love. So what we really want you to do is head over to Redbubble, which is the website that actually facilitates our store. They handle all of the shipping and manufacturing. They manufacture locally. So the stuff gets out to you guys really quickly. And um, we want you to go check it out at themjcast.com slash shop. All proceeds go to show running costs, charity and equipment. And uh, you can, by grabbing some of the stuff there, support us because uh, we, we love it when people support us. It, it enables us to keep the show going. And you can promote the MJ cast and Michael Jackson all at the same time by grabbing something from the shop. And what a great idea, I think, especially at Christmas time, whether you want to get a gift uh, for yourself <laughs> from the shop, which would be great. But also think about your MJ fan friends. Maybe you want to buy something on the MJ cast store and you can get it shipped directly to them as a gift uh, to enjoy this Christmas. They can put it under the tree. We've all got those special MJ friends in our lives that we want to kind of really show they mean something to us and and I, I really value the fact that Elise sent me a cool little MJ cast piece of merch as well for Christmas so do consider that don't forget to share your pics with us on social media when you grab something maybe a t-shirt or whatever or a coffee mug and you're drinking out of it grab a selfie send it through we'll be sure to post it on social media just make sure you email it to the mjcast at icloud.com with your social media handles and we'll get that one out there well, thank you very much for your support, especially to those of you who have already grabbed something from the mjcast.com slash shop. Uh, if you have, I know you'll be happy with the quality because we always hear back from people saying they're really happy with the quality. Thank you very much. And let's get back to our TJ Jackson interview. Well, TJ, we I want to dive into uh, another topic here. And this one is something like we've talked a, a little about a, a little bit about the tragedies that have beset Michael in his lifetime with the allegations and then obviously his his tragic death there is another thing that's on a lot of Michael Jackson fans minds um, a, another tragedy that struck him really in a lot of ways especially around his music catalog and this is something you were very vocal about with your family but the fact of the matter is that there are still fraudulent and fake Michael Jackson songs for sale today mm -hmm. by his record mm -hmm. label. And this is, um, there's a class action lawsuit against the estate, the people who did this, Eddie Cassio and James Port. It just got a lot of traction within the last couple of days with some big legal entities backing Vera Sarova, the fan that's bringing the class action. And we want to talk to you a little bit about what it was like in, in 2010 when this kind of unfolded and the Casio family in general, in the final years of Michael's life, Michael spent a lot of time with the Casio family, you know, trips to Bahrain, Christmases. What was your relationship like with the Casio family when Michael was alive? I only knew them through my uncle. And, you know, I only really saw them when we went to New York. 
So there was many times where I would see them and be with them. And, you know, I, 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 my uncle loved them, you know, and, 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 um, you know, had faith and, and support and, and trust in them. And I don't want to sit here and say this, they're all horrible and they're all bad. I just think, you know, at least a couple of them have made some very questionable decisions. For me, when you can make a questionable decision about my uncle, someone that I spent thousands and thousands and thousands of hours with and do things that to me aren't right, you know, I lose a lot of trust in you and, and I can't no longer believe you. I can no longer believe that you're, you're going to be true to the truth. Here's my here's my point. Um, I definitely know those aren't my uncle's vocals. I know that. I know that from I can I know it from listening to it. I know it from the evidence. I know it from the confrontations that you guys haven't experienced, but the, the stumbles of the answers we get back when we're when we're confronting a member of the family or someone who's close to the family. It's not my uncle. Now, with all that said, I, I, I don't understand why they would do such a thing. And, and it must be because their love for him was conditional or wasn't true. Or, and again, I don't want to say this is the case for the entire family because I don't know. I'm only going to speak on a couple of them. And I don't know. I don't know why they would do it. I, I know when you're in financial situations, you could do things you don't really feel you, you, you would have done or you, your, your ethic or moral compass can be swayed. Um, maybe that's the reason. I try to be forgiving and I try to, you know, give everyone the benefit of the doubt. It was just hard because I was presented and I don't think I've ever shared this, but I remember when Angel came up to me saying he had Michael songs and this was at Havenhurst soon after he passed. I think it was the week after he passed. He told me that he had a bunch of Michael songs and, and who should he go through to get them out or to get them. They're great in this. And, and um, I, I didn't, wasn't in that mindset of dealing with that. I wasn't caring about hearing that. I was still mourning. And that was should have been my first red flag. And I said, personally, I wouldn't do anything with it until the kids are adults. Michael, my uncle Michael is never going to not be popular. So just wait, you know, and, and to find out everything that had happened and the way it happened and how that advice was ignored. And, and I don't know if he was looking for support or hoping, you know, I don't know what it was, but from then on, I hadn't talked to him, you know, and, and I had done what I could to try to make sure my cousins and, and the Cassio family was close because from my experience until knowing about those tracks was this was a family that my uncle loved and, and my cousins loved and, and I want to make sure they are going to be as happy as they can be and feel that love. That's what we tried to do. But that was a very disappointing time period. And like I said, I can't trust them. And I don't, I don't have faith that they will always be there for my uncle the way they say they will. When I'm looking at your quotes from 2010 and you're talking about, you know, there's many MJ vocal impersonators, some better than others, but there is only one Michael Jackson. You're talking about merging shady vocals. Then you specifically named the person. You said, it sounds like Jason Malachi to me as well. Uh, the vibrato is a dead giveaway that it's not my uncle. 
How did you know of Jason Malachi at this point? And just to give you a bit of backstory with the case, Jason's lawyers at this point have directly reached out to the plaintiffs in the case to negotiate. So, I mean, somebody yeah. who wasn't on the songs wouldn't do that. So how, at that time, how did you know about Jason? I, I think it was either a fan or maybe even Terrell, because Terrell knew more about this situation and Terrell may have brought up the name or it could have been um, maybe even Damien Shields. I, I don't know who it was, but someone brought my attention to this guy, Jason, and I looked him up and that was the voice. You know, I, I've been doing music my entire life and I, I, there's things you can't change easily in your voice, you know, and certain vibratos and, and certain ways of saying words. I mean, I guess you can manipulate it, but it was just too... It, it was just too identical to what I was hearing from those three mm. tracks to, to what he was doing. And, um, you know, I strongly still feel I have no concrete evidence that Jason was there at this data or he's saying that. But I'm just going off of my ears and it just sounds very much like him. So until I hear someone else, I, I will assume it's him. The one thing I know is that's not my uncle. My uncle doesn't sing. I'm, I've heard my uncle sing on many records, but I've heard him sing just around the house. He can impersonate different things. He can sound different ways. He did experiment. He tried to sound, sing rock songs around the, you know, at home. He would sing Broadway vibes. He would wake up singing classic, like, you know, opera tunes, you know. So I've heard his voice many different ways, but I never heard it forced. I never heard it not natural. I never heard it attempt to be something. And, and that's what I got from that, those vocals. It was an attempt to, 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 to do something. And that's why I will always strongly feel that's not my uncle. And, and I have to, you know, my loyalty rides with him and I will always speak from the heart when I feel his, his legacy has been, um, you know, mistreated. And I felt that was wrong to do. When Teddy Riley asked Tarrell to participate in the production of the album, we spoke to Tarrell last year about it and he gave it, you know, his perspective on the whole thing. I just wanted to know how you first heard there was an issue. I heard, I first heard their issue from Tarrell. I remember him calling me and saying, like whispering on the phone, say, have you heard these, these tracks, uh, Uncle Michael's songs? And I was like, no. He's like, I don't know if you want to hear them. And I was like, why? He goes, and he's like, you know, they're not even him. I was like, what? What do you mean they're not him? And, and I, I couldn't believe it was going to progress. But Tara was the first one who told me. And, and I, I thought, you know, I was like, I got to hear this now. So when I heard it, it was worse than what I thought it would. I, I, I couldn't believe it even got as far as it did. But it did, you know, and, and mm -hmm. it was it. But to say it was Tara who, who informed me. The guy who co-wrote the songs with Eddie, or, or Angel as you referred to him as, his name's James Port, and he was a, you know, a studio collaborator with Michael Jackson during the Invincible era. He was a, he, I'm pretty sure he managed the Hit Factory in Miami and New York, so he was somewhat involved in the Invincible sessions. Do you know much about James Port yourself, or do you have a take on him? No, I, I've met him maybe once or twice, I believe, at Havenhurst, again, after my uncle passed. I didn't know of him before, and, and I haven't talked to him since those records have been out. So um, I don't know much about him at all. I just know that I think he is married to um, one of the Casio sisters. 
Yes, he is. Yeah, Marina Cole. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, I mean, I guess it must be a little bit tricky for you because being a guardian of the kids, I know in 2011 at the Grammys, you know, Michael's kids wanted the Casios to come out to be a part of the Grammys and all of that kind of thing. Is it tricky knowing all of that, but then also some of the family members having friendships with the Casio family, like Rebe was at the wedding and that yeah. kind of thing? Well, it, it, it's, it is tricky, you know, and because it's one of those moments where as Guardian, I had to kind of um, measure what I believe and what I strongly feel and, and what love and, you know, and, you know, I, I don't know necessarily how much my cousins wanted the Casios to come out I, I, for the Grammys. That, I think, is being overstated. Um, okay. I never, to be honest, never heard them say, can the Casios come to the Grammys? There was one time, I don't remember the year, I, I want to say it was maybe even 2009, where I flew with them to New York so that they could stay with the Casios for, for a week or so for Christmas because that's where they wanted to do it. Besides that moment, there hasn't been any asking to go see the Cassios from any of my cousins. I know Paris has seen them, and I know Austin and my Aunt Reby is still close with Angel, I believe. I don't know if they still are, but Well, Angel produced um, Austin's latest record. Yes, yeah, and I don't know. And and it's... Mm. Like I said, I I don't... That's just not the way I roll. I... I, If you... here's the thing. Like I said, I don't think that's my uncle singing. But even if that is my uncle singing, let's just say it is, that's not my uncle at his best. And therefore, it doesn't belong in the public. We all know, and when I say we, I'm talking about me and my entire family and the Casios know how important my uncle's legacy and how important creating the best art was to him. He didn't want anything to go out or to do anything unless it was perfect. So the fact that they delivered it that to be released and to represent him again let's just assume it is him i have an issue with i remember terrell saying that you know when he confronted angel and and he said he it just wasn't a good performance for him you know that's why that vocals are off if it's not a good performance for my uncle if you love him you wouldn't let it see this the light of day i've interviewed eddie myself <laughs> And some of the things he told me were just really laughable. He said that the reason that there's legitimate Michael Jackson ad-libs in there amongst the the rest of the vocals with the weird vibrato, his argument was that Michael would go around with a hard drive of a bank of ad-libs and he would drop ad-libs into all of his songs from past songs. That's got, uh, I, I'll tell you, I, I've recorded with my uncle um, for Brotherhood, like I said, there were songs on the Lost album, even songs before he had passed that, that we were just ideas. I'd never seen him do that. He was an amazing talent who could mimic and sound like anything whenever. It's not like my uncle to need to drop ad-libs from the past into records. Um, that just wasn't him. So I, here's the thing. Like I said, I, I don't. I try not to talk bad about people, but I just can't trust them. I, and I will never be able to trust them. And, and I just don't think it's, I don't think what they did was right. I, like I said, I know that's not my uncle singing, but let's just say they truly feel it is or they, they want to say it is. If you truly love the man, then why are you releasing things that would make him not at his best? You know what I mean? And, and yeah. that's something that, that, that to me, there's no really answer for. 
And maybe other family members don't don't understand my uncle's commitment to excellence. Maybe my other family, some other family members could be more gullible. I don't know. I all I know is what I feel and my experience and and all I could do is try to project love and and that's where that's where I'm at on it. The protests against things like the Casio tracks. For example, at the time, uh, a range of Jackson family members including you and your brothers and a range of your uncles and aunties and so many of Michael's collaborators stood up and were united in their protest saying this should not happen, this should not come out, even before the album came out. Even one of the beneficiaries, Catherine, didn't want it to happen. A co-executive didn't want it to happen, John McLean. How is it possible that such a project, in your opinion, could still happen? I don't know. I don't like speculating, but I, I think oftentimes... I don't know. I don't know if it was a financially driven decision. I don't know if it was from others who really believed that it was or got, you know, misdirected data or or I I don't know. I, like I said, I if if we had more say or more leverage or more influence, it wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have came out. For me, I, when it comes to my uncle, I think about legacy. I don't think about financial. I don't think about the money he could raise. I think strictly about his legacy and how it will be remembered going forward because that's what he cared about. I, I don't know. I don't know what the decision made. I wasn't in that room. All I knew is that I could express my thoughts and my feelings and, and try to do my best in, in letting his fans know that I don't feel that's him and, and my uncle wouldn't have been okay with that. That's all I can do. And that's all I, you know, that's what I did. So I guess I always felt for you personally, because you're were really in the middle of a tug of war in some ways, because you have the responsibility as the guardian of Michael's kids. But then there's the actual executors of Michael's estate so how does that feel for you being right in the middle as that sort of central bridging person where and then some people are very have been vocal in the past about John Branker basically wanting him to step down so how, that puts you in quite an awkward position in, in in a way it does but I never tried to complicate things I I put all my energy when it comes to my uncle on my cousins and their well-being as as people. So when it came to the projects or or things that were going on with my uncle, I didn't really put myself in the middle of it. You know, I felt there were other family members that either wanted to do that or could be relied upon more for that. I was very much inundated and, and swamped with decisions and, and and things that needed my attention in terms of them as just kids adjusting to life without their father. So I, I never tried to overstep in that way, although, you know, sure, I could have made a more argument, but I didn't want to dilute myself. You know, I already had a family of my own. Um, my first priority were those kids and, and to making sure they they were okay in life. So all my decisions for the most part relied on that and what would be best for them as people. 
it wasn't necessarily what would be best for the, the corporation or, or for the Michael train, you know? It was for what would be best for Prince, Paris, and, and BG. And, and that's what I believe, and that's what I did, and that's what I would do again. Uh, I think if I were to step in and try to do more things, it, it, would, it would spread me too thin. And, and I think, you know, my, my ability to be a guardian would, would have diminished. So it was something I was never really uh, attentive to. I just wanted to focus on the kids. So I should not worry about TJ. I should just chill. TJ has got this covered, <laughs> and not to not to worry about him. He's I mean, got and, it. He's got and it. And I try, I try, I try to believe in the best of people. I really do. I, I try to believe in the betterment of people. I try to believe people make decisions from the heart and and try to do what's best. I don't think it's always the case, and I don't always think the decisions are always the best, but. It's like what I used to tell my grandmother, you know, there was decisions that we would make that we didn't know, that we, we didn't know if it was the right decision. But I would say, you know, the only thing we can do is make them from our heart and they may be the wrong decision. But as long as we make them from the heart, then then we can support that and, and, and find comfort in, 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 in the decision. And that's just the way I am. You know, I, I try to, to believe in the beauty of mankind and and I don't know, I just try to spread that love to my cousins and make sure that they grow up thinking that because they got a difficult road. You know, there's going to be project after project and quote unquote opportunity after quote unquote opportunity that gets presented to them. And I don't want them to be cynics. I don't want them to, to think of the world as, as a one big trap because that's not a way to live. But I also do want them to be smart and, and to be aware but I do want them to always see the, the, the love and beauty in people. And, and that's something I always try to express. We're very proud of the projects that Paris and, and Prince have really put themselves into and worked so hard on. Like, yeah. I, I remember when the kids were born, I was, you know, a, a fan for a, a long time before they were born and then when Michael's dream of becoming a father came true and to see them now and Paris's incredible solo music and Prince's charity Love work we're just we're so proud of those yeah. kids and you know we know whatever uh, BG wants to do he'll put his mind and heart into it and we'll be proud of that too we're just so yeah. happy for those kids and and thank you because and thank you and thank all the listeners for supporting them and and you know I, I think when well, first of all, I'm proud of them too. I should say that. You know, I love them like they're my own. I will always be here for them. Um, you know, it, it hasn't been the easiest path, but um, it's a path that I'm proud of and, and I, I love watching what they're becoming. But yeah, I just want to thank everyone out there for supporting them. Uh, I, I think sometimes you know, we have to remember their age and remember they're not perfect and remember that they're not Michael, you know, and, and we have mm -hmm. to embrace that they're their own person and we have to embrace that, you know, sometimes they, they may not make the right choices, quote unquote, you know, that are at least the ones that we feel they should be making. And sometimes we may not feel like they're paying attention to us, but they're good kids. They're beautiful kids and, and they're just fine. They're still finding themselves and finding what they are and what they want to become. And I just think the best thing we all can do is support them and, and help them because it's going to be a challenging road for them. And, and I'm sure at one point the media is going to start turning on them. And I think it's important for us all to be there for them.
TJ, a question we ask every special guest when they uh, get to the end of the interviews we do with them is, how do you think Michael Jackson should be remembered? I think my Uncle Michael should be remembered for love and for putting everything he had into his craft, into his music, into his dance, into you know sharing love and, and trying to move mankind into a better place in the future. That's what he was. And, and I will always, always, always be thankful for him and um, be grateful that I was his nephew. And I, like I said, I love him dearly and, and I miss him every day. And, and um, yeah, he's just, that's my Uncle Michael. <laughs> Great answer. Yeah. Terrific. TJ, you've been an incredible support, even with uh, the the questions and your time today. And we're going to take a little detour that you were in on from the start, as well as a good friend of the show, Courtney. Uh, We're going to just take a little detour and give someone a bit of a surprise that they are definitely not expecting. (laughs) Yep. Okay. I I believe we've got somebody waiting to call in uh, on the line. Okay. Let's <laughs> let's add in cousin Cam from the Janet Jackson podcast. Janet today. Hello, cousin Cam. <laughs> Let me get my headphones right. <laughs> How's everybody doing? How's things, cousin Cam? I've missed you. I miss you too. Things are good. Dealing with the yeah. weather. You, and you're looking after yourself, your family's okay? Yeah, we're doing fine so far. I only had two family members to be affected with COVID so far, oh, so we're doing okay. good. Okay, well, I, I like want to just wish you a Merry Christmas first up and uh, all the best for Christmas and the new year. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. Merry Christmas to you too. Thank you so much. I think we've actually got you something special for Christmas. Oh, really? Yeah, Jamin. Hi, Cam. Just to let you know, this whole planning meeting we were talking about, uh, that was kind of a, uh, that's not really a thing. You're actually on the line right now with TJ Jackson from 3T. I am here. What? How are you, Cam? (laughs) It's wonderful to hear from you. Oh, Uh. my God. So we should do some introductions. Uh, TJ Jackson, this is Cousin Cam. Cousin Cam is one of the hosts of the the world's number one Janet Jackson podcast. And yes, she's a, a big fan of 3T and of yours. Well, Cousin Cam, I just wanted to thank you for all the support of not only myself, my brothers, my family, but especially my Auntie Janet. And just want to thank you for being who you are and doing what you do for for all of us. So a big hug and, and so much love sent your way, Cam. Okay. 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 Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Two stories. Me and my cousin Courtney. We was just, she sent me a text and she was like, hey, you remember that summer you had us listen to 3T like the whole trip? <laughs> yeah, that was the bomb CD. And she was like, yeah, you really, I was like, oh, I was just like, oh, 
I wish I could send you a picture of my wall in high school. I had <laughs> every write-on magazine, every picture, every poster. I was just like, <laughs> if it wasn't 3T, Janet or Michael, it was one pit poster of DMX. True story. <laughs> <laughs> DMX made it, huh? <laughs> he, he made the cut. But thank you. Oh, my God. I can't believe I reached out to DJ Well, thank you so much, Cam, for all of that love. It was felt, and it's felt now, and it means the world to me. So thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. And your family, I'm telling you, I I mean, anybody going to ride for the Jacksons is going to be for me. I mean, you guys are a strong family. I mean, you guys, I I, I just admire your strength, your work ethic, your contribution to music, to entertainment. So if you ever, ever feel like, you know, oh, if you're ever thinking like down or anything about like the, the media or everything, just know that you have a fan in Mississippi that loves you guys to death. Oh my God. Cam, that, I'm telling you, that means so much to me because there are those moments where you feel, you know, a little frustrated or down or, you know, you, you don't you get a little lost on what you're whether you want to even continue on you know and um it's messages like the one you just gave me that remind me of the big picture and empower me and inspire me to continue on and i know my whole family would agree you know whenever we hear those those kind of messages from people Anywhere in the world, it, it, whatever language, you know, you could feel that energy and that love. And, and that means the world. It means so much to us. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Oh. <laughs> Cousin Cam, um, we're, we're just going to keep you for like, you know, a, a few minutes. But we thought perhaps um, you might have a question or two that you'd like to, to ask TJ or, you know, even if it's um, about him or about you know, Auntie Janet. Oh my God! Yeah, we've put you we've put you on the spot, real quick. <laughs> <good, didn't we? laughs> okay, so I guess I've always wanted to ask this: coming from a famous family, and just being pretty much your whole family has been in the spotlight. I mean, ever since you got um, they started with Motown. And I just always, I know, you know, at one point in your high school career, you were like a baseball player. Mm-hmm. And I, I I heard that you were pretty good. Mm. Was there ever a, a moment in time where you was like, you know what? I might not do the family business. I might go a different path. And what stopped you from pursuing baseball to stay in the family business? Uh, that's a great question. So I grew up loving baseball. That was my passion. I lived, slept, drink, whatever the saying is, ate it, whatever, all that good stuff was baseball. I, I knew every player. I knew every team, every stadium. I just had every baseball card. And I was a decent player. You know, I grew up trying to play with uh, the level my brothers played at, and they're my two older brothers. So I was used to playing against good competition and, and was able to survive in that world. So... When I ever, whenever I played against my own peers, I always ended up doing pretty good because I was always used to playing against my older brothers. As far as did I ever, you know, I, even up until I'd say about 14, I used to think about playing professionally. 
even you know doing camps and and playing on high level teams but it was right around 14 and a half 15 i think where where i had to understand that a baseball career probably wasn't going to happen and that was pretty much because we had signed to sony or mjj and we were recording and you know my brothers also they're older than me and when they decided to not pursue baseball at you know as late teens and early 20s as a career then i didn't think it was right for me to say okay well you guys you guys want to do music but i want to do baseball so i kind of was committed to my brothers as well now here's the thing cam this is something i haven't shared there we went through some difficult moments of in our career of when we didn't feel like we had control of our career or we didn't know what was going to happen next and in my early 20s to even mid 20s i went through a period where i was strongly contemplating re-pursuing baseball and really uh just putting music you know my 3t career finishing that book but i think what stopped me was occasionally hearing from people like you running into that 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 person somewhere in this world that would that I could tell my music had an influence on. And, and that is a powerful thing. It inspired me to continue on with my music and, and to just, you know, let baseball be for, for true baseball players and let me just stick to my music. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, but there was definitely a time after 3T where I was strongly considering, you know, just going for, for my other goal and dream in life, which was baseball. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you chose music. <laughs> yeah, and I did. And I don't, you know, like I said, there was times where I even regretted going music, even though we were so successful doing arenas in Europe. There was a good, a decent several years where I regretted not pursuing baseball. And uh, I don't have those regrets anymore. Um, I always wonder what it would be like, what it had been like. You know, I've seen a lot of peers that I was stronger and better that when I was a kid that actually played professional baseball. And, you know, even some of them said, you know, you would have made it. You know, you were better than me or you, you did this better than me. You would have made it. You had everything you needed to make it. Um, so I, th- that was tough, a, a tough pill for me to swallow, especially when we were in the dark stages of 3T. But looking back, I, especially with my doing my solo stuff, I'm, I'm happy I'm doing music and stayed on this path. It's, it's a blessing and it's something that I don't take for granted. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, Cam, um, before we before we let you go, do you have a quick Janet question for, for TJ? Or just wondering, TJ, because everybody wants to know, and they've asked me and my cousin if we had any information. But would Janet drop Black Diamond in twenty twenty one? You know what? I hope so. I hope so. I don't know. She keeps things close to the chest. But you know, I, I I hope so. I think my aunt is 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 very unique. She has a, a, an ability and a, a smoothness, but with some edge that I really haven't seen another artist. You know, maybe my uncle, but and especially no other female artist really possess so naturally. So I know she's got some some great projects that are coming up, and and I'm excited just like everyone else for, to see and hear them. Um, you know, she's, she's an amazing talent and I'm a fan as well. So I, I, I'm, I'm right there on, on pins and needles wondering too, and hoping it's sooner than later, because I love hearing what she's doing and, and watching what she's doing. 
Yeah, we, we're just waiting. I'm just like, oh, any day now, maybe she'll surprise us and just drop it on a platform. And It would be beautiful. The unfortunate thing is I have no insider news for you, so I, I can't. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry to let you down, Cam, but I don't have any inside info on that. Hey, I understand. <laughs> I had to ask. I had. To I love ask. it. And real quick, I could share a cool. I could share a cool um, Auntie Janet story. There are many, but the one that I, that has been sticking in my mind lately is when my mother passed. We spent some time at my aunt Janet's in her Malibu beach house. We spent several days there soon after, and um, you know, obviously, the location of her house being on the beach was very therapeutic and helpful for me. Um, but also just her being there, and and that was my favorite moment with Auntie Janet. You know, she's the one who styled us for the funeral. She, you know, made sure anything we needed we had during that first week or until my my mother was buried, and and um, she was just great. And um, yeah, I just I don't think we've ever shared that, and 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 she needs her props for that because she she stepped up as an aunt, so. Yeah. I can just see her just saying, "Come in, fellas," and just giving you hugs and yeah. Oh, and even and even during the the dark moments with Sony when we didn't know what was happening, she was so supportive of us, and she tried to help us, you know, get our get our freedom. And um, you know, those two moments in particular, uh, you know, there's others. You know, even when I think of you being in that video and and doing that and seeing Auntie Janet perform, that's all special. But those two private personal moments for me were, were the biggest for me for Auntie Janet. Oh. TJ, what would Auntie Janet bring to the potluck? <laughs> uh, uh, like the, you're saying just in general? Yeah, what would, what would Janet rock up with? Um, that is a good question. I'm scared to answer because I don't want to... I think she... she she definitely would bring some, some uh, I think, a dessert and some chillness. Uh, but I could see her bringing a dessert and and some good times, some smiling and some fun. So, yeah, I, I can't pinpoint exactly what she would bring, but I would just say a dessert and some, some low-key chillness. That's what Auntie Janet is. What would you bring to the potluck? <laughs> um, let me think. Uh, you're saying like a family potluck? Yeah. Jackson family potluck. I'd probably bring some chocolate chip cookies. Nice. Classic. Yeah. I think that's what I would bring. Not that I can make them good, but I love <laughs> me some chocolate chip cookies. So, yeah, that's what I would bring. That's what I would bring. <laughs> Cousin Cam, you are the ultimate professional. What an awesome question that you came up with under this surprise pressure and that's yes. volumes so to one of my absolute ultimate favorite cousins merry christmas i love you guys please send my love to courtney she was totally in on this so you know you can go get her in trouble <laughs> <laughs> I love oh my it. gosh thank you guys thank you tj for doing this for real this is like the best surprise ever <laughs> you are more than welcome and thank you again for all your support and the love you show um my family and and my aunt it means the world so thank you you're welcome anytime <laughs> <laughs> 
Thanks, Cousin Cam. Can't wait till your next show. Thank you, Cam. All right. It's dropping in a couple of uh, – might be next week. We're trying to oh, finish it up yes. now. Excellent. All righty. All right. Bye, Cam. <laughs> All right. I don't even know how to get out of here. I'm so hyped up. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that was so worth it. Thank you for helping arrange that, Jamin and Courtney and TJ. Uh, let's drop back into the actual questions of the interview today. Can you tell us, uh, is there anything happening that you want to share with the Dee Dee Jackson Foundation? We, you know, it's a great foundation. We've always loved shining a light on it and we do not want to miss the opportunity for you to talk about it. Yeah, well, we're in year five of the Dee Dee Jackson Foundation and it's a foundation that my brothers and I started on behalf of our late mother, Dolores. Jackson, otherwise known as Dee Dee Jackson, but we're growing. We're doing, you know, music therapy heals classes for kids and and for youth around the country. And we're doing our Power of Love show. We have other, you know, plans that were sidelined because of the pandemic. But in 2021, I'm not going to mention them specifically because I want to make sure it's still on the board for 2021. But we're growing, and and it's something that has been very empowering for. You know, not only people, but for us, you know, we didn't go to therapy when we lost their mother. We didn't have any counseling. And this has been our form of it. And it's been very uh, empowering for us. And we love the community that's been built and everyone who, who week after week follows us and who's in our Facebook group. We've just built a, a beautiful, loving, safe community. And, and we're looking to expand on that. Awesome. That sounds great. And what can we expect from you in the coming months musically? So in February, I'm going to release the first single off of my new project, my new album. Every four to six weeks from there, you're going to get new music uh, wow. for the, from yeah. that album. And I, I see 2021 being equally as busy as 2020 was for me. Uh, I see some cool experimental R&B type of stuff coming and I'm just hoping to to bring joy and happiness to everyone who's listening and and to continue to try to set some some music up for for their lives and and to be to play a role in their lives in a positive way. And uh, like I said, I I have a lot of music still left in me and and I'm excited for everything that's coming. Uh, you know, I want to do a blues album with my father in, in several years. He knows that. I talk yes. about it all the we time. We need that. And oh, that, my God. We yeah, need that's one get of my, that acoustic that's one of, stuff out. That's one of my lifelong goals With is is do an album with my, my father and, and tour on it and, and spend some great father-son time and, and you know, and, and just do a cool little project. That's one. And then I'm also got a Latin. I got to learn this the Spanish language. Uh you know, my mother spoke Spanish, and that's something I still haven't done fluently, but I plan to do, and I'm going to learn it and, and do a Spanish album, and um, I got a lot of stuff I want to do and, and plan to do, and, and I'm excited because I have a beautiful community that, that is enjoying it, and, and it makes everything so worth it, so I'm good. Great. Just in a few words, and TJ gets everyone hyped up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I don't, I, it wasn't my goal. I was just trying to express what I'm doing, and like I said, I have so much, so much excitement and for me that that's coming up, and and I'm excited to to show and and grow with with everyone who's who's listening and who's enjoying it. That's amazing. And and lastly, TJ, we want to give you the opportunity if if fans 
of yours want to find you online and connect with you, where can they find you on social media and the web? Yeah, so I'm on everything. Instagram, TJ Jackson 9, uh, Twitter, TJ Jackson, uh, YouTube and Facebook, TJ Jackson World. I know I'm supposed to have one for everyone. But you can also just go to my website, www.tjjackson.com and find me on all those platforms or find where I'm at um, from the website. And um, oh, another thing is you can always subscribe to my newsletter where I try to keep everyone up to date with what's going on in my world, as well as share some positive, you know, some positive phrases and sentences and and positive sentiment to my readers. So I, I, I'm doing a lot of stuff, but I'm doing it with the purpose of, of just trying to bring joy and, and positivity in the world. And listeners, don't forget the music. Like, it's not all about just the man, but yes. the music. You know, I it was only, what, two, three weeks ago, I think when you dropped your latest single, that your image was the header on my Spotify release radar. So that's that thing that comes every Friday that goes, oh, here's a whole bunch of new music that you're probably going to love. And your awesome visuals with your cool hair and stuff is the, <laughs> the big header image. I was like, yeah, how about that? Getting a Jackson as my header image for my release radar. I love that. And and that means you are following me, I guess, on Spotify. So that that is the probably the other big thing. If I could put on a marketing hat, it would just be to follow me on, on whatever streaming platform you use so that you get my music and you hear it and it gets fed to you the way the I got fed to you. Yeah. You God on, love those algorithms. Your, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just follow me. That That's one thing that my, you know, my management and, and, and marketing person would, would tell me to say is to make sure you're following me on the music streaming platforms. 100%. 100%. Do it, listeners. You will Do not it. regret it, especially wow. hearing what is in the future coming, like what TJ wants to bring us. Good stuff. Yes. Yes. TJ, thanks so much for giving listeners uh, that social information. Q, where can people find us as well? Everywhere. It's really easy, folks. Just search on whatever platform, basically, for the MJ Cast, all one word, the MJ Cast. You'll find a Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, YouTube, and then the podcast streaming platforms, which, of, of course, this whole machine is for, for this amazing content. Uh, Spotify is back at the moment, Jamin. My God, what a drama that is. And it's back minus Anyway, your we won't even episodes. talk about that. <laughs> well, not just my favorite episodes. Yeah. Anyway, we, we had an idea about that. We're going to talk about that after to get those out there in another way. But yeah, you know, Apple Podcasts, Google, all of those shenanigans. It's the MJ cast. And if you're listening, you've already found us. So tell other people. That's the other thing. Tell other people. Tell other fans of Michael, of the Jackson family, of TJ. Tell other people. Share the stuff. It's all good. Enjoy. TJ, this is incredibly selfish of me, but I've got to say when I log on to YouTube and Apple Music and all of these different places, I can watch concerts from all of my favorite artists, but I cannot find a 3T live concert. I need a 3T yes. live concert. High definition. What's up? Let's go. It's, it's funny. It's funny you say that because Taj and I were talking about that about a month ago because we yes. have the Brotherhood tour in great quality oh. um we are talking about putting together a, a show you know and with some backstage footage 
Um, so oh. it may be coming. It may be coming. And trust me, I'm excited to see it too. I haven't seen or, or heard anything from the Brotherhood Tour in 20 plus years. <laughs> so it'll be fun for me to even watch and go through that footage. So hopefully soon though. Hopefully soon. Fingers crossed. I pitched this idea to him years ago. I said, what would be amazing if that comes out would be a commentary track over the top with the three of you guys talking about the show as it's happening. Just great. I, hey, just I'm there. Yes. I, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I will talk to him about it. If you talk to him again, remind him. But if we get that going, I will be there day one and, and excited for it. So you have no complaints on this side. Oh, we're chatting with him on Saturday. So <laughs> <laughs> cool. Let him know. Let All him right. know. Oh. All right. Well, <laughs> this has been Jamin. Did you just save the best interview of the year till last? Like, <laughs> Hugh, wow. I think we've got a candidate for Merry the best Christmas. interview of our six seasons. Oh. <laughs> This has been amazing. I want to thank you guys. It was a lot of fun. And really, thank you guys for being so supportive of my uncle. And um, I promise you, you couldn't have found a better person to support. And, you know, he was a magical, loving person. And really, thank you for all you do and and all the support and and giving the fans and supporters a a place to to learn and, and, and really you know, get their MJ fix. I, I truly appreciate everything you guys are doing. Well, like Cousin Cam would say, we ride or die for the whole Jackson family. Like we oh. love all of you and we support everything and we just want to give you all strength. And now Siri's yelling at me. <laughs> we all just want to, we all just want to give the support that you guys need in those times that you need it most. And you, you've got us, so thank you. you. You've been so generous with your time and your answers, and we really, really appreciate it. And we know the listeners are going to love it. And what a great way to wrap up the year, Jamin. Mm, absolutely. Thank you so much, TJ. <laughs> it's been amazing, and I feel really just honored to be able to speak with you about your story and your great new music. Absolutely. Don't miss it, people. Thank you so much for having me, and and God bless you all, and and, uh, take care, and have a good rest of your year. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Merry Christmas, and all the best for New Year. Merry Christmas.